and good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, I mean a really interesting edition tonight, of the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when tonight we're going to probe the intentions of aliens, or ETs. Or both. Because, well, we'll, when we get into the actual conversation, we'll get some definitions straight. We have passed an extraordinary moment in global history. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to report tonight, if you go, if if you're new to the program, and I did uh, Coast with George on Tuesday, so I imagine a number of you kind of wandered over to see what the heck is he up to? Well, tonight you're going to hear. We're up to a lot, a lot. And we're making really demonstrable, measurable progress. So all of that to unfold in the next uh, three or so hours. I want to start tonight by directing everyone to, to tonight's banner. Uh, this is for, of course, uh, Saturday night, December 22nd, 23rd, 23rd, yes, 23rd. Go to tonight's banner, which says the alien disclosure deception. Our guest tonight is uh, Charles Upton, a very interesting writer and philosopher and citizen scientist. And uh, you will meet him very shortly. But he's written this book, and it's so in line with our own research that I wanted to make sure that when we uh, had what happened uh, last week happen, We kind of hit the ground running even prior to the new year, because believe me, 2024 is going to be one of those where, as Betty Davis said, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy flight. So um, let me start. Click on that banner where it says Asian Disclosure with that eerie, eerie gaze. Click on that. That takes you to our guest page. And right under the guest page, you'll see fast links to items. My name and Charles, click on my name. That takes you to my section uh, of radio with pictures. Um, Item number one. This now, at this season, this is so crucially important. Because remember, in the physics, apropos of uh, Art Bell and George's, uh, George Norrie's, empirical experiments in consciousness, you know, influencing, we'll use that term, consciousness influencing. There have been some stunning notable successes on the idea that everybody focuses on a good outcome to something and lo and behold, the good outcome outcomes because of people's focused consciousness. Well, behind this, this is a hyperdimensional, you know, model. And empirically, I know I was a beneficiary of one of Art's experiments because the night that uh, he learned I'd had the heart attack, he got all millions of his listeners, really, all focusing on making Richard well again. And here I am, not a twinge. Now, Robin took over after the first hyperdimensional miracle of focused consciousness kind of waned because it's one of those things where if you don't keep focusing attention, the energy goes somewhere else. It wanders. It you know dissipates. So you could not expect people more than you know a few weeks to focus on you know keep Oakland alive. 
And when they finished, Robin took over. I mean, it was seamless. And uh, it's because of her that I am here tonight, not a twinge. So um, what we're looking at is the potential that that headline, Putin privately signals interest in ceasefire in Ukraine, can become real, as the Catholics would say, can become manifest if enough people focus on making Putin continue and approach a ceasefire with Ukraine. And then it it spreads and it goes from Israel to Gaza and good God, peace could break out. And it's so overdue. Now, as this audience well knows, my interest going back decades in this phenomenon, the so-called UFO phenomenon, and its corollary of discipline, which I guess we, in, we invented, exoarchaeology, looking at ruins, looking at the remains of this extraordinary series of ancient, incredibly sophisticated high-tech civilizations, which occupied this entire solar system. Again, according to empirical evidence from NASA, from the Russians, from the Chinese, from the Japanese, a huge bunch of folks, including now the new player on the block, India. I mean, India's landing at the South Pole of the Moon, well, within 19.5 hyperdimensional degrees. Hint, hint, Emily Dickinson, anyone? Reveals stunning stuff about the landing site. Anyway, this is all kind of like a prelude to why am I having someone on tonight, Charles Upton, who, as you'll hear momentarily, has such a background so distant from my approach to these subject matters. Because, as I said a moment ago, we have crossed a Rubicon, which takes me to item number two. A week or so ago, the House and the Senate passed the current NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, to which was attached a... uh, an, an, an amendment called the Schumer Amendment proposed by the um, uh, majority leader in the Senate. Um, and it included disclosure dates and legal language pertaining to enforcement thereof. The disclosure, both in private industry and in government, of any and all UFO, UAP, ET, alien technology. Now, through a rather remarkable political process and Steve Bassett, who, by the way, is going to join us, uh, I think, for about five or ten minutes uh, in a few minutes in the first part of the show, because he did something which nobody else has done yet. And I want him to report firsthand uh, what he found when he was doing it. It's all very mysterious. I know, I know, I know. Come on. Kind of have some secrets, even from Emily. So um, the the uh, milestone that was passed like a week ago is the House and Senate agreed in conference to submit to the president for signature the ninth, the 2025 National Defense Authorization Act with the Schumer Amendment. But the Schumer Amendment, by the time it reaches reaches the president, uh, has been in the eyes of a lot of observers and and commentators, eviscerated. 
It really is just a pale shadow. It's not really what Schumer wanted to do. There's no enforcement. There's no deadlines. The the ultimate arbiter of who gets what in the American society of ancient UFO technology is left up to the various governmental departments who've got, you know, bits and pieces. And the corporations like Lockheed, who got the contracts to begin analyzing this stuff decades ago and are sitting on proprietary rights. In other words, it's all locked up. Current bill does nothing really to now legally unlock it. God, I hope I'm doing this right. You know, this is complex. This is, you know, remember they, they used to say never um, see behind the scenes when sausage is made or legislation. Because legislation is messy. You know, the very politic of politics is compromise. Everybody doesn't get everything they want. So what did we get and what did we not get? We got, well, I'll get to that more stress in a moment. We got a declaration that there is stuff to be dispersed. There's UFO technologies to be revealed. And then we didn't get access to it in any meaningful sense other than, well, it's a nice day. It's the, okay, okay, let's let them have this. In other words, it's completely up to the people that are keeping the secrets to stop keeping the secrets. So that's not really the breakthrough. The breakthrough, which is why I'm doing this show tonight with Charles Upton, is because by very act of Congress, ufology, ET archaeology, ET psychology, ET geopolitics, um, or exopolitics is the term that I think I uh, bequeathed to uh, some people many years ago when UFOs was just like a dirty word. Now, of course, it's been redeemed. Why? Because credible people are reporting incredible things on the record as part of a government infrastructure and a congressional campaign to make it all public and therefore real. The Rubicon that we are sitting on the other side of tonight is that a week ago, UFOs were something interesting that some people preoccupied their time with and, you know, enormous rumors, Twitterverse, uh, Truth Social, Fox, all of them. And tonight, we live in a realm where the Congress has declared by congressional authorization, and the president is about to sign as part of the bill process of turning congressional wishes into law, that UFOs, ETs, secret, extraordinarily advanced, hyperdimensional technologies are real. It's all real. We've been right all along, everyone who's listening, who has been trying to get someone else to listen and tugging and pulling and, you know, but come on, we're in a new era. Yes, we are. It is all declared by legal congressional fiat. Real. Because you don't agree to keep hiding something if it's not of value. By, by declaring that it's property and it belongs to the corporations that have been back engineering it or declaring that it's you know government property and, and therefore falls under national security precepts, what could possibly affect national security about UFO technology? Oh, come on. 
It's the whole ball game. Remember, as I said on Coast on Tuesday night to George's vast audience, at least compared to ours, but I believe in quality, not quantity. I said to him, look, this hyperdimensional torsion field engine, the space drive they're about to uh, test upstairs, is, is it, it's, you know, AD and BC. We will be in AD if it works when they turn it on. Well, we have been in touch. I'm not going to mention the details because those things, if, if you parade them in public, they, those conduits tend to go away. But someone who is a very important person relating to this show was able to reach out and directly get in touch with the head of the company in South Dakota, IVO Systems, who have put this extraordinary technological paradigm-shattering breakthrough into Earth orbit where it orbits every 90 minutes tonight. And they are about to turn it on. And if it works, then, as I said to George in the audience, everything changes. Everything. And think of it this way. The biggest come on for releasing UFO technologies has been for decades, how do they power their warp engines? How do they get from distant stars to here? And obviously the speed of light is, is, is minor inconvenience. The secret of that technology gives human beings not only the galaxy, but it gives them access to all kinds of other higher level stuff. And again, we're not talking about our research, which is, which is separate. I'm talking about mainstream UFO mythology, which is that if you can figure out how they work, you get space drives that can take you to infinity. You get infinite energy, which means you don't have to, you know, destroy the planet or you know, produce super greedy corporate, you know, you know what's that will, you know, pilfer every pocket that they can in the general public in on behalf of money and power and greed. Those things go away. The planet gets saved. The democratization of individuals is enhanced when we're not beholden to someone else who can turn off the power. And that's only the opening gambit. If you really do have access to technologies from an extraordinarily sophisticated super ET civilization, either because they bring it and they've crashed, I mean, does that make any sense? Come on, come on. These were gifts. And they allowed us time to back, they want us to reveal this stuff because it will A, save the planet, and B, it could in so many ways stop what's going on tonight in Gaza and Ukraine. It could unite the human condition, the human family, the human spirit, which is very, very, very broken, by giving us something outside of ourselves to compare ourselves with and just maybe to live up to. Then there's another side. So I'm going to get to that when I introduce uh, uh, my main guest tonight. But first, I, I, I want to skip over item number three, go to number four. As I said uh, last week with Stephen when we did the show on Saturday, and I said again to George on Tuesday, there is a current exhibit at the Smithsonian. It's in the um, 
it's in the Museum of Natural History on the second floor in among something devoted to meteorites, I understand. And with great fanfare, less than uh, about, about a month and a week after the uh, OSIRIS-REx spacecraft had returned samples of the asteroid to the Earth, soft landing them in Utah, you know, taking them by plane to Houston, putting them in a special lab, um, opening the canisters, which are kind of built like shells, and they've been able to get into the first level. And the second level, the interior, they can't get into because of the want of a screwdriver. I kid you not, that is currently what's going on with the samples from Bennu. And yet, they were able to get a few specks out of the uh, first level containment and get them over to the Smithsonian and open an entire exhibit. And behind a magnifying glass and a light, they've got a little speck of a sample. It's probably about the size of a grain of rice. And uh, Stephen will tell you more in a moment. It turns out on the official Smithsonian photography, when we looked at it, it looked like an ancient piece of very tiny machinery. So I had um, Andrew Curry, who's one of our resident artists, incredibly talented folks, do a side-by-side comparison, which is there as my item number five. And Stephen, valiant person that he is, after doing you know the show late East Coast time on Saturday, he got up on Sunday morning and he went to the Smithsonian to try to find access to this artifact. And this is what happened. Mr. Bassett, you're on the air. And someone is calling. I don't know why. Okay. Hello. Okay, guys. Yeah, I had the microphone set on the wrong thing on my Skype settings. Say again. Unmute Skype. Uh, I, I already okay, have. We can hear you now, Steve. Yeah. I, I was, my setting was correct on my computer, but not in the Skype settings. Okay. Can, ever, can everybody hear me? Hello? Can everybody I'm hear me? I'm hearing Richard. Can everybody hear me? Hi. Hello? Hello, hello? Richard, you're muted on Skype. No, I'm Unmute not. Your Skype oh, oh, well, we how the hell? You. How? Hang on, hang on, hang on. There yes, we are. You are, Richard. Yes, yes. All right, I've got, got Thank it. You. Got it. Got it. Okay. Sorry, folks. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened there, because sometimes these computers just want to do <laughs> things all by their lonesome. So, um, Stephen, are you with us? Yes, I am. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so um, following gentle prodding, you got up at the crack of dawn on Sunday and went over to – what did you find at the Smithsonian? Well, very busy. It's the first time I've been at Smithsonian Institute of National History. Um, went to the second floor geology exhibit, which is huge. It's got thousands of things in there. And I looked and looked, and I had a fit finding this very tiny display. They did have, as you walked in, a film running uh, in a, one of those little booths about Bennu, but there was no indication of where the exhibit was. 
Finally, I tracked it down. It was right inside the door on the left, very small in a case with a couple of other exhibits. And it's not impressive. The, the, the piece is incredibly small. It sits in the bottom of a sort of like a microscope because uh, there's no way they could display it really outside of that. And so you'd look down and you could see that there's something down in the bottom of this, uh, I guess, Microsoft setup. There's also a light there. And that's it. Um, there's really nothing you can see beyond that uh, without taking it out of the case and probably bringing that microscope, whatever setup that is, into play. So very low-key. Well, it sounds almost like it's no key. I mean, they make this big deal of it. Uh, uh, the administrator opens it together with the high mucky mucks of the museum. And, you know, there's the rocket and the spacecraft models. And then you've got this thing. And then there's this photograph on the uh, on the web, which is huge. And you say you can't even see it. It's it's like a little speck of dark stuff. The tiny, the pieces, oh, God. Of it, it's... I doubt it's a sixteenth of an inch across. It might even be a thirty-second of an inch. It's tiny, so it has to be viewed. And what you're seeing is they're taking a photograph of it through a microscope, uh, but the actual piece is a fleck. And now you would think. I mean, I started out in muse- museology, <clears throat> you know, comparing exhibits for the public in museums. And what you would do even back then in the dark ages in the '60s, you'd have a closed circuit thing called a television camera. And you'd have that focused with a prism or a mirror so you could look at it with your eye, but the camera could also see it. And then you'd have a big screen next to the exhibit so people could see it filling the screen. I have to say, I did not sit through the entire Bennu um, film there. Okay. Uh, Again, it was about Bennu. At some point in there, they might have shown this thing, but I mean, it wouldn't have been much different than what you, you have. Uh, well, the different, well, yeah, because again, see, I wanted eyeballs, you know, Marco and eyeballs not bought and owned by NASA who could look at this thing and say, oh my God, look at that. With their own eyeballs looking down through a microscope that I thought would give us something, you know, comparable to the photograph. Again, this is, they're, they're not making a big deal out of this. This is a, uh, if if I have to assume they have take, brought back uh, material from unless they passport. changed it. Remember, if you look at my item number four, that is the photograph wide angle of the microscope light combo, and you can see that the object is much bigger than a fleck of sugar. I mean, look at it there. Um, I don't I don't actually have that up right now. Okay, go to it. Okay. Uh, it well, it's bigger than a fleck of sugar. It's not that small. Well, again, in, 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 in terms of what we see in that number four photo, which is a wide angle of the container, which is sealed nitrogen so they don't contaminate it. And then there's a light so you can see detail. And then there's this magnifying glass. It's even got a, you know, a kind of a trade number. You can buy it probably from Edmund Scientific. Uh, so it's, it's, it's there to be transparent to the public, but you couldn't even get close enough to get a decent picture with your own phone. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's inside glass. Um, so, and there's refraction. 
Hmm. I can't imagine. Well, I I think I would say this is a bait and switch. Again, they're they didn't set it up. Um, uh, they didn't set it up for people to be able to see really anything. <laughs> uh, its presence there is indicating that they brought this something back, but it's pretty. Uh, well, you have to trust pretty... them at every stage in the process. There's no transparency. So, all right. Um, I want to thank you very much. By the way, uh, Andrew is is going to do a painting for you. Okay. Okay. And I, right. uh, I I email Lisa and George, and they George brought you up a couple of times during my stint on Tuesday night. So if you haven't gotten one, I think you're going to get an invitation very soon for Coast. Oh, that's nice. I appreciate it. Um, I I I. I, I look forward to seeing how the museums on the mall handle the explosion of things that are going to become, quote, observable or worthy of museum mm-hmm. display post-disclosure. That's going to be fascinating. It certainly will. Well, Mr. Bassett, thank you so much. And again, you and Andrew need to talk because he says, my brush is poised. Thanks, Dick. Okay. Say goodnight. Okay. Um, We've got about six minutes. uh, No, no. Well, no. More like four minutes till the bottom of the hour. Let me give you some background on Charles Upton. This is really interesting. He is 75, an American Sufi Muslim, author of 20-plus books on metaphysics and spirituality, including works of spiritual psychology, metaphysical exegesis, of mythopoiosis, say that one on New Year's Eve real fast, and metaphysics and social criticism of poetry and on Islam. Protégé of The Beats, his first books of poetry were Panic Grass, published by Lawrence Fetherengetty in his City Lights Pocket Poets series, and Time Raid, published by Don Allen's Four Seasons Foundation, his writing series. Uh, Charles was raised Catholic in an essentially pre-Vatican II church, participated in the spiritual revolution and peace movement of the 1960s and 70s, and the sanctity movement for Central American refugees in the 1980s, later becoming associated with the traditionalist perennialist school of comparative religion and metaphysics founded by René Guillon and then headed by Fritjof Schoen. In 1988, let me make sure we're not overdoing it on time here. In 1988, he converted to Islam and was received into the Nimatuhali uh, Sufi order under Dr. Javad Nurbakish. In the same year, he published Doorkeepers of the Heart, Versions of Rabbis with Threshold Books. And in 2010, after his mentor's death, he maintained his connection with Sufism by taking Bayat with a well-known Sisla of the Awe Tariga. In 2011, he published The Wars of Love and Other Poems through Sophie Perenna's publications. In 2013, he conceived the Covenants Initiative based on the groundbreaking work, The Covenants of the Prophet Muhammad with the Christians of the world and when we come back you will meet him here on the other side of midnight 
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, the night before, the night before Christmas. Now, tomorrow night, Christmas Eve, we are going to have one incredibly splendiferous, amazing journey, thousands, if not more, years in the past, to the actual roots and origins of this thing which has become so transmogrified, called the Christmas season. Well, that's tomorrow night. Tonight, I've got Charles Upton with us, who's written an extraordinary number of books. I've uh, managed, I think, three, I think, I, if you count some of the ones I'm in, but I didn't write the whole thing. No, it's more like four or five. Anyway, uh, so 20 books is an incredible Herculean effort if you want to say something. So without further ado, Charles, come on down and say something. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Hello, folks. Um, uh, let's see. The, the, the first thing that came to me to say was listening to what you said uh, uh, in your conversation with your last guest, who was talking about going to the Smithsonian and seeing a little flake of God knows what, which is supposed to be it. Um, two things you said that, that, that really have to do with the theme of what I want to talk about tonight. One is the theme of bait and switch, which is very much what I'm going to be talking about. Secondly, as you said, and I entirely agree, uh, these people, you know, who are telling us things about, you know, whatever, you know, related to the government, you know, these people, you have to trust them at every step of the way because there's no transparency. And this I think perfectly describes the so-called revelations about the existence of alien corpses and alien crashed alien ships all along. Uh, we have never seen them yet. And now that, that, that uh, bill in Congress was amended so that we don't see them, we just get information about them, which means the people producing the information can tell us any damn thing they want. Uh, I don't think we are at the point where, where we can be sure that these things are real. There's a vast industry of creating rumors, reports, you know, uh, uh, planting stories, 
you know, that's been going on for generations, actually, um, to produce this belief in the public mind. Now, now, when you say this belief, you mean belief in UFOs, ETs, things that go bump in the night well, with very large eyes. You know, you, you, we can't put all those things in the same in the same box. You know, let's be a little more specific. There's no question that there is is a UFO phenomenon. Oh, okay, okay. These things, these things, you know, appear. You know, more and more people are seeing them. Everybody's got cell phones. There, there are more and more videos coming forward. They're they're seen visually. They're seen on radar. They're seen with infrared sensors um they land they leave they live leave physical traces they have undoubtedly abducted people and those stories are are you know so many stories about that this is definitely a real phenomenon no question about that are they from other planets jacques Vallée, who to my mind is still the best ufologist says likely not because there are too many of them I'm not quite sure how he makes the one connection to the other. Because, I mean, mil- possibly millions of people have seen these things. If people were coming from other planets to here, you know, it, it would be more, more like an expedition here now and then. No, 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 no. Why, why, why? Remember Uhura in Star Trek. It's a big galaxy, Mr. Scott. A, you've got trillions of possible locales where tourists would be coming from. Yeah, mm-hmm. and where they could go too. Be, yeah, but right. If, if, you know, if, they, they, if, you, if you want to say trillions, they have, they have trillions of destinations. So that knocks that out. Well, argument. all right, all right. <clears throat> the idea okay. in the mainstream UFO literature is that really something? For decades, for decades, what I have been reading is kind of like the 1950s sci-fi uh, model that ex- civilization A reaches out through whatever, uh, scouts, yeah. military, scientific, whatever, and they encounter another civilization. And, yeah. and, then, and that would imply very few uh, contacts historically or pre- and post-historically, yeah. and, right. and it, it would not account for the numbers that we're definitely seeing. So that model was predicated on the idea that it's very hard to go from star to star. If, in yeah. fact, it's incredibly easy because you take a hyper-dimensional technological Arthur yeah. Clarke route, then we obviously are seeing tourists. And what do we do with incredibly interesting sites on Earth? We bombard them with tourists. Suppose it's as easy to come here from Alpha Centauri as it is to go to Bryce Canyon. Yeah, uh, but... Uh... How do we know they're coming from other planets? There are, are other worlds that, that, that are, are well, coextensive but you, but, but with it, this world. But it's there not are other a, dimensions which are coextensive with, with our three-dimensional linear time world. Well, but it's and not an either-or. It can be of all of the above. Because remember, it could be all the, of the, above, the physics by which but, they you know, do this. Um, it, uh, the, 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 the thing is, you know, of course, the human race has been seeing these for thousands of years. You know, and the idea that they're coming from other planets is rather new. But anyway, well, uh, hang on a second. Hang on. See, yeah. this is this is where our research comes in because the mainstream okay. UFO model does not account for ancient, incredible, advanced occupation of this solar system by an extraterrestrial race. Which that's, it, that's well, that's a very common idea. Which nowadays. in our yeah, but an idea and having data is two damn different things. 
we've got 40 years of data, which is being resolutely ignored. Up until a few months ago, when NASA declared that they are opening an office at headquarters in Washington to look at techno-signatures, which is a fancy way of saying ruins, cities, ancient technology, whatever, whatever, right here in the solar system. Well, okay, to, to look to look for them is one thing. No, to look you at know? them. We already know they've got them in their files. How do you think we've done our research but on their files where we, and when I say we, it's a very large we around the planet. It's become this cottage yeah. industry of people looking at NASA data for ruins and machines and all that, and an official acknowledgement. We live in a in a society, a subsection in the United States of America, of a larger global society where unless an authority figure looks into the camera and says mm -hmm. it's real, nobody wants to believe it. Well, nowadays, nobody believes the authority figures either. <laughs> but they would if they – because they believe in a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, no. Belief is part of human tradition. It's only relatively recently that some things – are beginning to be questioned. You know, I was born in an era where, you know, the, the Roswell era, where everybody kept their mouth shut because basically the government said, if, if you don't play along with this, it's a damn big desert. And yeah, they got away with true. it. So uh, let's, let, let's go, you know, I'm, I, uh, let's start out the way you said you wanted to start out. How did I get into this? I'm, yes, I'm exactly. I want to this. And, and, and give some context and background, and then instead of just throwing an assertion out, which I don't have all the data to back up right now, I'm going to co collect it a little bit more, and we'll, we'll get there if we got time. We have so, plenty of time. Okay. So, you were going to ask me how I got into well, this. Well, given your background, starting with the Catholicism, I was a, I'm, a, I'm a Reformed Catholic too. And then looking at your other interests, the idea that you would wind up in ufology is just very intriguing. And I'd like to know the non-random walk that got you from growing up, looking around and saying, I wonder how the world really works to where you're now, where you think you know a bit of how it really works. And part of it includes, you know, cover up and deception. Yeah. Um and I'm, I'm going to redefine deception in a moment, but okay. basically, um, well, I, you know, going through the hippie counterculture, one of the themes, there were so many themes that were thrown out all at the same time and energized by LSD, <laughs> which was, you know, which was of course given to us by the CIA because they just wanted to see what would happen, you know? So, um, basically there was the myth of, the Space Brothers, you know, generally the, the hippies looked at, at the UFO aliens as um, as benevolent and, um, you know, they believed in the Galactic Council or, or, or the Galactic Federation or whatever they want to call it. You know, well, that's that because a lot was, of the 1950s contactees like Adamski and yeah. Williamson and others, that's what they wrote in their books. That's what they said. The Space Brothers yeah, right. are here and, and to keep so, us so from... That, I, I, I got it through the hippie counterculture. Oh, ah, okay. Was that. And um, then, well, so that, that's, that's one of the things I followed away. I wonder what that's all about, you know. Then uh, some years after that, after the hippie era, uh, 
I did a retreat on Mount Shasta in California. Okay. So I'm, I'm in Kentucky right now, but I grew up in Marin County, California. So, ah. so uh, Sh- you know, Shasta was known as the big sacred mountain of, you know, of perhaps of the whole West Coast, but certainly <laughs> California. So I went up there and, uh, you know, I ate only brown rice for three days and, and I took a vow of silence, which for me is, is quite quite rigorous. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, uh, that's when I had my first lucid dream where I woke up and saw that I was dreaming. Interesting. And then I was meditating at dusk, looking out over this beautiful, huge range of mountain after range after range, far into the distance. And it was twilight. And uh, I was meditating with my eyes open, which I used to do then. And uh, I saw, I went into a light trance, which is just, you know, deeper relaxation, you know, started to trance out. And I saw these two extremely precise dots of light crossing the sky. And I see, you know, and they looked, they looked realer or, or like they, they, were, they were more defined than most objects you see. I said, what are those things? And so I shook myself and I came back to a more waking consciousness and they disappeared. Hmm. I said, well, that's interesting. So I, I sat there still with my eyes open, went back into my little meditative trance. And as soon as I got into a, a different and altered state of consciousness, they appeared again. Oh, so I'm saying, well, well, they're really out there, but they depend upon, you know, how my consciousness is tuned as to whether or not I see them. So that gave me my first sense of the kind of things that the UFOs are. A non-traditional physics. Well, ontological plane. It's what, you know, uh, some people, the theosophists and others will call the etheric plane. Look at it like this. Uh, what you see and experience through your five senses, you know, touch, taste, sight, hearing, that defines what we call the physical world, right? That, you know, you can see it, you can, you know, I'm knocking on my table now, knock on wood. <laughs> that's, that's that reality. Then, we all know that. Then there's a the reality uh, that we encounter in dreams, or the reality we encounter just in, in mental imagery. You close your mind, you imagine something, or you know, you go to sleep and you have a dream. Well, that's clearly another kind of reality. Now, what the etheric plane is, it exists between those two. It's subtler than the physical, but it's more gross, if you will, than, than the dream state, than the imaginal. And uh, so, so it, it's, it's like a subtle material dimension or a quasi-material dimension. Now, later on, becoming a Sufi and a Muslim, you, we encounter, I encountered the uh, lore of the jinn. <clears throat> the jinn are the beings, pretty much the same beings that the Western Europeans call the fairies. You know, the fairies are not celestial angels, nor are they, you know, pigs and bears roaming around through the woods. They are somewhere in between. And um, basically, uh, the jinn inhabit the etheric dimension, which means they have the power to materialize temporarily. Whether I was talking to one of my Sufi brothers or a couple of them a few <clears> days ago, and I said, okay, we agree that they can temporarily materialize, but 
can they create objects that, that will remain in, in, in physical reality? And my, my Sufi brother Yusuf said, oh, yeah, when I was in Malaysia, you know, there, there, there was a Sufi family I knew, and they, they had a, uh, you know, uh, a bottle or something, and they say, in which there was a gin, and this gin had been passed down from generation to generation. Oh, well, maybe so. But, you know, but they, they showed, you know, a Chris, one of those Malayan, wavy Malayan, super sharp swords or daggers. They said, oh, this was created by the jinn. Well, maybe. Maybe they can materialize objects which will be stable in, in physical reality. But more often than not, what they can do is appear and disappear. You know, it's, it's difficult for them to get here. It takes a lot of energy. They can materialize to the point where they appear on radar. But then they run out of that energy or they decide to go elsewhere and they, they go back to their proper dimension. You know, you can, you can take a fish, fish out of water and, and, and uh, you know, but it, it can't live out of water permanently. It has to go back to, to where, you know, to its own world, you know. So pretty much... That is my view of what the UFO aliens are, you know, and in terms of technology. So, wait, wait. so, so am I to hear that it's very binary for you? You don't believe that there are nuts and bolts space vehicles or temporal vehicles or. I'm saying I I, I would, I would allow that that is possible, but I would say that when you look at the profile of of how these beings operate, um, you know, appearing, disappearing, affecting people's psyches very profoundly, um, this, this does not fulfill, you know, does not fit the, the, the profile, the parameters of uh, physical reality. It fits the, the profile. Well, but you of, mean physical reality, reality, physical reality as we've been taught it, right? Well, as we experience it every day, and we know, we generally know what's possible, you know, walking across the street, you know, Wait yeah, till what people a car might hit you. What, I mean, what, just, just just our universal experience of a physical world. What people that's experience all, that's all I'm talking about. What people experience every day is not the full spectrum. No. Of, of, Beyond of, that, there's there there is the etheric plane, which is another a whole other mm-hmm. world. Beyond that are higher worlds, which are angelic worlds, et cetera, et cetera, and it, it, it goes on up. Yeah, it's not this isn't the whole thing, but it has it. The physical reality has its own you know, definition. It is three-dimensional. Time is unidirectional in this world. It can't be reversed. That's the, that's the definition of this world. If you're, if you're talking about the reversibility of time, if you're talking about more than three dimensions, you're no longer talking about a physical world. You're beginning to, to, to define something well, closer to I would to, I would argue I would argue the physical world operates under laws. And just because... Yes. Just because there are different laws for higher dimensions and their connection with this dimension doesn't mean they're not physical in that they cannot be experienced and they don't have predictive um, mechanisms for things functioning. That's what I've been trying to figure out for the last 30, 40 years with an extraordinary number of experiments that yield very positive, predictive results. Are you talking about experiments of... um you know, group consciousness being applied. Well, that also is part of the spectrum. Because what I've discovered is that there is no real difference between consciousness and materiality. It's kind of like a perspective or a frequency or 
again, multiple dimensions that well, are linked. Well, they're, they're, ne they're never found apart. You know, my, my, my theory is this. I'm coming from the Quran. The Quran says, now that this is, uh, is, is Allah speaking. He says, we will show them our signs on the horizons and in themselves till they are satisfied that this is the truth. Is it not enough for you that I am witness over all things? Now, what I take that to mean, signs on the horizons, the horizons is the outer world. You know? Well, Don't it can also be the future. Well, but th that's not what it means in the Quran. It means the outer world, you know, and the outer world and the inner world of the psyche and in yourself. And it's essentially saying the creation, you know, the source or God is, uh, God is the source of both worlds simultaneously. Consciousness does not create matter. Matter does not create consciousness. You know, th th if you say matter creates consciousness, you say, well, we live in a mechanistic, you know, universe and consciousness is simply an epiphenomenon of matter. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing but a complex biological computer. Well, it matter, it ma I mean, you some know, models, matter is, is, you know, the carrier wave, the, the, the vessel of a higher order information energy well yeah that, that's that, that that's that is true too but the higher the higher order of information um in other words real events don't they don't start in the outer world and then affect me or they start in my mind and i affect the outer world they occur in outer world and inner world simultaneously that's that's what Jung's synchronicity was all about, and actually synchronicity is happening all the time. We just don't usually notice it because it's hard to put our attention equally on outer world and, and our inner consciousness. But if we could, we would see there's no whatever happens in the outer world is happening in me. Whatever is happening in me is happening in the outer world. Which means they're both made of the same stuff, and that's where we come into harmonics and resonance. That's not my area of expertise, but I, I'm, I'm confident that harmonics could certainly say something about that. What I'm saying is uh, we are not magically creating the world around us. The world is created by God right now as we are, as is our consciousness right now. And it, it is created in a polarized form of subject and object, which is why, you know, we, we can differentiate, at least to begin with, consciousness from the material object it's viewing, you know, but in a larger sense, they're part of the same matrix, you know, because they're, they're part of the same divine act. So, so at some point, <clears throat> this philosophical perspective, your conversion, the Koran, and UFOs crossed paths was it in this experience at Mount Shasta? Well, I wasn't yet a Muslim, but you know. Because let me ask this I, question: You, you, I think that, you, you emphasized yeah. twice that you were meditating with your eyes open. Did yeah. you did you try seeing these guys with your eyes closed? No. Well, that would have been an interesting test because well, that it, would have it, been it, interior yeah, versus exterior. A lot exterior. of things I could have done at that point. See, what I would think is the way the, the reason that coming out of trance. They went away, and then going back in, you could see them again. It's about frequency matching. Yeah. They were physically agree. here, 
tracking across the sky, but you could not see them unless your frequency was matching the signal. Yeah, and I would say the frequency that matched that signal uh, defines the etheric plane, not the physical plane. Yeah, but that's see, the to, way to I me, it's all part it. of the continuum. That's why we call it high-dimensional physics. Yeah, it's a continuum, but, but there are discrete borders, you know. Well, they're kind of like tunneling in quantum physics. They're leaky. They're not implacable. You know. No, well, you can cross them. Yeah. Yes, yes, you, you, can, you can literally communicate information between dimensions. I know because I've been conducting several experiments in that vein. That's why when I saw your name, I said, I've got to get him. And here you are. Okay. So well, let's anyways, go back to so, the UFO so thing. So, how did I get into UFO? Well, that's, well that's, and not just in UFOs, because most people, when they say UFOs, they say, okay, lights in the sky. Things, yeah. they, things they read in popular media, you got, <clears throat> at some point, into UFOs at the level that I'm trying to do it, which well, is, why, what the why heck Why did is I get it? so interested is an interesting yeah. question. Well, um, yeah, that's why, well, I'm, well, that's actually, why we're here. I'm, I'm, remembering, I'm, remembering the, uh, uh, I'm remembering this stuff because I just finished writing my autobiography, which is 460 pages. Oh, my pages. God, what a, what and, a, what and, a job. Um, we, I, I, was, I was at a... Uh, a Uf, UFO soiree led by uh, poet, poetess and spiritualist Helen Luster in San Rafael, California. And uh, she's a lady who later became Allen Ginsberg's private secretary at Naropa Institute, oh. now in Naropa University, uh, the, the Buddhist university in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. And uh, so... Uh, so what she, year roughly was this? Um, when that that was like late late seventies. Oh, okay. Yeah, somewhere like you know, like seventy eight, seventy nine, something like that. But um, so uh, so anyway, uh, she played us some tapes of a, a lecture by Jacques Vallée, and I said, "Oh, th- this guy is extremely interesting. What he's talking about," um, and. Um, so anyway, because of that, years later... Did you read Messengers of Deception? Exactly. That's what I'm getting to. <laughs> Jacques, and I, Jacques and I are old friends. I'm trying to get him on the show because he's done some amazing new work. I haven't touched, uh, touched yeah, base I, for I, years. I wish, I wish he, would, he would go back to some of the suggestions he brought forward in that book and develop them a bit for more. For those but, people that have no idea what we're talking about, limb out uh, Jacques' arc overview of the UFO phenomenon from perspective of that book. Yeah, that, that book really, really affected me. I, but I found it because years later, my wife Jenny was browsing in a bookstore, I, mean, I think in Larkspur, uh, Marin County, and uh, she found that book. She brought it back, and I said, wow, you know, <laughs> that. So I, I saw mm-hmm. how much social engineering and, you know, mass mind control was involved in the UFO phenomenon. On the, hang on, hang on. On the part of someone or separate someones. Yeah. But pe- pe- people with, with, you know, military ranks and people associated with uh, intelligence community. So you're looking at the controllers like as strictly Earth people as opposed to the phenomenon itself. Because uh, I, 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 well, I, I thought Valet... 
there is undoubtedly deception coming from the phenomenon itself, but I'm just talking about the human half of it. Okay, well, see, for people that don't follow this stuff, we need to parse out what we mean about deception, because apparently it's going on at all levels. Oh, incredibly so. Um, we're, we're living in an engineered control system right now. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. I, it's, 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 it's amazing... If, if, if it, uh, Charles, if it were seamless and control, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So something well, is not working at 100% efficiency to keep us from knowing no, and, and, who we are. No, and that's our system can, but, but they're, they're, they're getting pretty much what they want. You know, that's what I think. And uh, How long I, I is your say, horizon? I, I hang, on, hang on, hang on, how long, how, Charles, Charles, long. Charles, conversation. How long is your horizon? Because this bill isn't even signed yet. My model says that things will unfold uncontrollably by the terrestrial controllers at an accelerating rate over the next year. Yeah, and, and I am saying that this bill is authored by and is the perfect expression of the intent of the celestial controllers. That's okay. what I think the real deception is. Okay, well, we have to establish the, the existence of celestial controllers. So let's go well, back I to mean, the. Hang on, hang on. I mean, we are literally. We are literally. controllers operating on, under uh, the tutelage and inspiration of, from beings from the gen world. Is what higher I mean. dimensional forces. Yeah, if you Okay, would. all right. We are at the uh, top of the hour. My guest this morning is Charles Upton. We have barely gotten into this amazing potential for fascinating, catastrophic um, mindsets that may be a little different than those that we have brought to this phenomenology before. So on that note, um, let me, let's, let's take a small break here so that we can, in fact, rejoin my uh, uh, guest of the morning, Charles Upton, as we peruse the idea that maybe there are folks up there, out there, over there, that do not have our best interest at heart. There's a hierarchy. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. 
theothersideofmidnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, the eve of Christmas Eve 2023. My guest this morning is uh, Charles Upton, who, as you can tell, has been looking at these hyperdimensional possibilities as being key factors in explaining the inexplicable, the entire panoply of phenomenology surrounding UFOs and occupants who, in fact, in our model and in his, can be transdimensional beings akin to some of the most interesting folklore coming out of, you know, the Arabian Nights, etc., etc. The jinn, capable of things in three dimensions that appear to be magic, but in fact, are a higher level, in our model, decipherable science. One epic experiment, again, I come back to the grounded reality that in orbit tonight is a spacecraft with an engine which if they turn it on and it works, everything, including what Charles and I are talking about tonight, everything changes. Charles, please pick up where you were. Well, let's see, where was I? I'm going back to the talking points you asked me to send, and that sort of yes, um, excellent, excellent. encapsulates a lot of what I wanted to say, so maybe I should return to my notes here. Good idea. Okay, so um, about the UFO phenomenon itself. Now, this is what I got from Jacques Vallée, and I accept that, you know, his his research is probably second to none um, in that field. So it says here, the three aspects of the UFO phenomenon are a physical reality, you can see them on radar. You can see them with your eyes, infrared sensors. They leave physical traces, et cetera, et cetera. B, psychic and paranormal effects, lost time, you know, uh, profound psychological, psychic effects where, you know, under the influence of the, of the spacecraft or whatever it is, the entire environment becomes a different place, things like this, which are well attested. And, and the, the strangest of all is human deception activities surrounding the phenomena. Now I'm I'm asking how can these how uh, these can these three be explained and how do they work together? Well, the strange thing is if it's a real phenomenon, why do you need hoaxes? You know, and it seems like there, there are elaborate, well staged hoaxes uh, of the Mission Impossible variety. What are those for? You know. I mean, it, it, it isn't, certainly we're not talking about it's all a hoax. No, it's, it's extremely real. It's a real phenomenon. <clears throat> so anyway. Well, hang on a second. Let's, let's, let's yeah. kind of explore these in, 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 in more depth. Because okay. if you have a phenomenology which is so widespread that you cannot really 
stamp it out. You can't make people not believe it, see it, right. talk about it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. The only step for controllers in that case is to so disincentivize people to be interested by making yeah, them that, the, the object of, 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 of ridicule. And, and, so and, so you, if you, you pull a hoax and then it's, it, it's revealed to be a hoax and people say, ah, oh, it's unreal. You throw yeah. enough spaghetti on the wall, eventually people yeah. will think it's all a hoax. Yes, and, and, and I've, I've seen that. You know, that, that I believe was a, uh, a technique used by the Satanists in the Satanic Panic. When was that, the 1980s? When, you know, there, there were these stories of terrible Satanic rituals coming forward and people were starting to get paranoid. And so my theory is, I don't know this, my theory is that the Satanists said, what, what we'll do is we'll spread so many rumors most of which will turn out to be not true, that uh, at one point, you know, because the police were getting involved and they were che- checking these things out, but at one point there were so many false... Well, it's a, it's a classic counterintelligence, counterinsurgency yeah, exactly. operation. Yeah. yeah, it is, it is. So, okay, uh, that, that's, that's a good, uh, that, that's one good explanation. I had another one, but, but that, that's a very good one. So... Um, but I, I want to say we're all apparently operating, most people under the assumption that the government has wanted to hide this phenomenon. Well, that's one of the things they wanted. But uh, what I believe is that when we say the government, we don't know who we're talking about, the deep state, the intelligence community, nah, who knows? But all along... Well, hang on a second. There is ample evidence that you have two tiers of government. You have the folks that we deal with day to day that we... Yeah. The electing, you know, doing speeches, bills yeah, the, and all that. The, the There's a much deeper level and never sure. the twain shall meet. And we've got real data on the on the immiscibility of the so-called deep state, which I think is a very appropriate yeah, I, term. I, 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 I accept that. I accept that. But um, let, let's call it the deep state. Then. The, the, the deep state has has for decades been planting suggestions, stories or you know, giving people the sort of experiences as the CIA probably knows very well how to do, it well, will convince people that there is such a thing as extraterrestrials. And and the, the the best evidence I know for this is something that General Douglas MacArthur said. Ah yes. At West Point. At West Point. Now, what was that all about? <laughs> I mean he said, you know, the the, the uh the you know, our next something like our next war will be interplanetary the sinister forces of another planetary galaxy, and it's up to you, young officers, to win our win that war, something like that. And why would he say that? He's planting that idea. Well, wait, when, wait, wait, was, when 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 did MacArthur give that speech? It was '63, sometime. Well, there was the backdrop of Roswell and everything that happened up through the '50s and 60s. yeah, yeah. But but in other words, he's giving what appears to be an official stamp to the reality of UFOs, not the fact that they were weather balloons or something. Yes, which is what, A, and B, they're not good guys. Yeah, okay, right. So why was he saying that? Do you think that, that, that he was like, you know, a loose cannon? You maybe, know, a, a, maybe. An, an out-of-control whistleblower that they Charles, couldn't, they couldn't Charles, muzzle? You don't think he was Charles, part, part of... Charles. You know, the God, intent please. of the power structure at Hang that on. point? No, no. There's a 50-50 chance that he was trying to tell the truth. He was a whistleblower. 
Look okay. what look what had happened to him. Truman had fired him because of the Yellow River in China and all that. He was a oh, man. Yeah. He was a man without a country almost. He gives this commencement address. Never die. He gives, he gives this. Yes, yes. He gives this. Away. He gives this address at West Point, <clears throat> and like <clears throat> Reagan at Reykjavik. Remember Reagan at Reykjavik? Yeah, yeah. See, my model is that the government is not keeping secrets at all. They're under duress to keep secrets, or terrible, horrible things will happen. And the patriots, the real people trying to let us know what's going on over the years have given us all kinds of Emily Dickinson tell all the truth but tell it, tell it slant hints slant, yeah. without saying it legally because apparently in the halls where this stuff is decided what we get to know and what we don't get to know they're so incredibly legalistic that you can literally slip things into the data stream that don't fit the propaganda only you have to do it a very careful, precise, surgical way, like Brookings, the, the NASA report from 1960, which said we can't let them know there's anybody out there until we take a generation to prepare them. Yeah, okay. Unless you're Edgar Mitchell, you know, there, there, there have been whist- there, there have been sanctioned whistleblowers who, who, who have you know, have never had to deal with the men in black who, who have never, you know, they, they haven't had any, uh, uh, their jobs were not in jeopardy, that they, they, they were not disappeared, that they, they were sent out there to spread the word that that, that uh, UFOs are real, you know, and, and, and so... Well, wait, when I'm you said they is, were sent out, what, what, hang on, I, hang on, Charles, Charles, I need to get some points straight. Okay, please. When you say they were sent in your model, in your political analysis yeah. that's that what their mission is i may have different mileage i okay. argued uh, strenuously for three or four hours with ed mitchell on art bell show many years ago about the reality of all the ruins on the moon that he was surrounded by which were photographed by alan shepherd and kept in a secret drawer at nasa for 30 years and the only way we got to see what's really there is because a friend of mine turned out to be a curator in NASA of the imagery and the samples, and he was ordered to destroy films, and he instead took them home and sent copies to his university. So decades later... So so now he's in prison or or has has disappeared never to be heard from again. You mean... Right? We're talking Ken Franklin. We're talking about your friend. No, he's still very... Well, well, why why were there no consequences? That was a serious breach breach of security. Because... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, because it was 30 years elapsed. Now is not then. Now is not 1947. Now they, whatever level of deep state or the yeah. first layer of elected government understands, and I'm looking at these committees in the Congress with yeah. the bit in their teeth trying to swim in waters. They have no idea how deep it is, I don't think. Well, they are honest right. efforts. The question is, will the deep state subvert the honest efforts like they tried to with this NDAA bill or by the very fact, as I said at the top, of declaring this phenomenon is valuable and secret and you can't know it until we decide it's okay. They have validated everything that's happened over the last 70 plus years. Yeah. Well, okay. My, my, my theory is 
and this is just the basic thing, that, that ever since at least the end of World War II, there are elements of the deep state that have been attempting to convince this world that uh, we are in contact with extraterrestrials. They couldn't come out and say it. What they had to do, there had to be official denials, and then under the smokescreen of the official denials, they were planting stories left and right. They were creating movies like uh, Red Planet Mars. Red Planet Mars is an amazing movie, if you want to see it, it starring Peter Graves, which it, it essentially talks about, it's the picture, it is the very incarnation of a social engineering uh, project to, to change human consciousness about this phenomenon. Because the, what the powers that be, they want to basically liquidate all the world's religions. They want well, to again, replace this, this these is, religions. This, this is your with, model. This is your model. We don't know that for a fact. This is my model. You bet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've worked on this model. I mean, this is my ship in the bottle. <laughs> I worked on this. That's what that they want to deconstruct all the world's religions. They want to replace these religions with a plausible religion that that can be accepted by materialists, but will still satisfy the basic religious instinct that every human being has, and that is known as the UFO religion. And the amount of effort and intelligence—I hate to use that word. And, and funding and, and meticulous planning that has gone into this project generations long is now bearing fruit. That's what I believe. That, let, let's unpack this starting at the very bottom. Okay. If higher dimensional realities are real, and if someone or something, some consciousness can cross those barriers, mm-hmm. why would our guys in 3D want to keep that a secret? They want to keep it. They, they, they wanted to keep it a secret because if they had told it immediately, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have flown. They had to convince people. Well, what, what do you, what, what, you, what do you mean? Well, hang on. What do you mean? All you have to, all you have to do is have, all you have to do is have one spaceship hovering on the white house lawn without rockets and whatever, just spinning quietly and you convince the world. It doesn't take much hyperdimensional physics, i.e. Arthur Clarke's third law, and he's sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic yeah. to convince an right. awful lot of That's people true. that magic is real. All you have to do is show it to them. That's again why I go back to this demonstration in orbit, which is going to show the world that the physics we think is real is not real. It's only a partial version of the complete story, yeah, which involves it's a partial version. But but you know what? What about all those UFOs that buzzed um, Washington? What was it, 1952? 1952. I mean, that's that's pretty convincing. How come people weren't convinced? Well, because in those days you didn't have mass media that was unfettered. You had film. It, it, you it, didn't it, have it live made, television. It made headlines, newspaper Yeah, but then, but, then, the but then the White House came out, Truman came out, and uh, I forget the, the guy at the Air Force, and basically said it was temperature inversions. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, any campaign to make public this phenomenology cannot be a one-off. It's got to be sustained in public and unrelenting. Well, how, it, it, it has been unrelenting. But you know, but the medium but the but the but in 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 uh, uh, 
Charles, science, science the, fiction movies, the medium, you know, and, and in our own time, for, for how many, you know, 15 years has, has, has the History Channel and other venues been cranking this stuff out. We've been pounded with it from every direction. Exactly, for as Brookings. And we're it, just about at the point exa- where they can now say, wow, I guess it's really real, and, and we convinced Congress, and, and here we go. Charles, now, the thing, the thing Charles is, have, you, have you ever heard of the Brookings Report, this um, official NASA document that yeah. basically said we have to prepare them for a generation? That's what we've been undergoing with Star Trek and Star Wars and all these movies, starting from the Great B movies in yeah, the exactly. 60s. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's been education. Has it been education for, for naught? Has it been education to give us a spin on the phenomenon? Or to give us a backbone to face the phenomenon, which does the name John Alexander mean anything to you? Um, uh, say that again. John Alexander. Does that mean anything to you? Um, first name. John Alexander, Colonel John uh, Alexander. That's he, familiar, but you'll you'll have to remind. Well, he's, you know, he's, refresh he's, my memory. Yeah, of course, he's one of the luminaries in the UFO community. Yeah, he, yeah. he started out obviously in the U.S. Army. Uh, he developed something called non-lethal warfare strategies, you know, and and he's 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 well known in upper levels of both mainstream military, you know, history as well as you basically UFOs. He reported several years ago being at a meeting at the Pentagon with the Undersecretary of State. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, the Undersecretary of Defense in the Pentagon. And John was giving a presentation was on that, was that Christopher Mellon by any chance? No, it wasn't. No, okay. but it, but it was someone who was maybe a contemporary. Yeah. The point is that when he got to a certain part in the presentation, the Undersecretary of Defense leaped up around this conference table with a whole bunch of generals and other military brass and bigwigs, and shouted at Alexander, "Stop! You're not supposed to know that stuff until you die." which, of course, is a confirmation of the model that you're presenting, which is more than half of this phenomenon has to do with other dimensions, some of which we go to when we leave this three-dimensional reality. Yeah, I I would accept that. I I mean, all of these stories are hearsay, and who knows what was first? Who knows if this ever took place? And secondly, who knows what was really meant by that? If it was, you know, well, context is, of speeches and language and all that is a, is a whole science unto itself. The, the yeah, point the yeah. point is it's not the only data point. There are right. all kinds of data points that we're dealing with a hyperdimensional phenomenon. Yes, which, definitely. Which I would and, say, and, and if we're if we're dealing with a hyperdimensional phenomenon. It's no longer necessary to say these are from other planets. Yeah, but it can be both. We're from another planet. In, in any case, Charles, Charles, this Charles, with very much the same Charles, parameters, we, a, 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 Charles, a different Charles, has been known for an experience for thousands Charles, of years. Charles, you so. must listen. Please listen. Yes. We are from another planet. We have a space program which is evolving. It is going to very rapidly accelerate to spacecraft capable of non-material transposition in three dimensions, utilizing a higher dimensional connection. That's what the experiment 
in orbit is going to prove. Is this the Jack Sarfati spaceship, basically? Probably, that, that's what he's, probably. You know, they have working on. Yeah, they things they, like they, that. Well, it actually, I think, goes back to By, Byfield Brown, because the company mm-hmm. that is, you know, funding it, makes high-level, incredibly state-of-the-art capacitors. Now they've not revealed what the technology is. I think it's got to be Byfield Brown. If it is. It will work when they throw the switch. Everything changes because it can't work in just three dimensions. It's like sitting in the middle of a placid lake with no oars and trying to get yourself to the shore. Yeah. It so will not what, what, move what unless... What do they claim it, it, it will hopefully be able to do? Without fuel, without conventional rockets, with no conventional propulsion technology, it will literally raise its orbit when they turn it on by 60 miles. I am suggesting, and I've done this in the public venue because we've not been able to reach directly the head of the company, who did respond to one of my interlocutors that after it, the demo, they'll be glad to come on the other side of midnight and talk their heads off. So I'm really looking forward to that because we'll be in, you know, AD. The company claims that without any fuel, their original objective, this was in Forbes magazine to raise the orbit 60 miles, which there is no three-dimensional mainstream physics explanation for how a non-propulsed spacecraft without rocket engines, without fuel, with no means of affecting the outside of it. The outside. Yeah. I mean, they they, they do have, undoubtedly, they have a power plant. Oh, of course, it's solar-powered. It's electricity. Anyway, I think I know how it works, and they don't want to talk to us until it does work which I can understand fully. The point is, every intelligence agency on the planet, the Koreans, the Red Chinese, the Russians, the South Koreans, the Europeans, JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, the Pentagon, NORAD, everybody around the world, even the Israelis, are looking at this damn thing which has been orbiting the Earth since November 11th. When they turn it on, and it changes orbit all by itself. And my suggestion, per the Forbes article, which said that they probably no one's going to believe them, I, I'm suggesting in the open, you know, uh, market, they send the damn thing into orbit around the moon, and then bring it back without an engine, as conventionally defined. That will change everything because this physics is inexorably linked to consciousness human and other, including <clears throat> hyperdimensional consciousness, which are our friends and folks out there who are our enemies. And given the capacity of this kind of hyper technology at the level of reality, we need to pay attention to the guys who do not wear the white hats. And that's why you're on the show tonight. Yeah. Okay. Well, though it is speaking about those guys and, you know, uh, according Muslim doctrine, uh, the jinn are not simply identifiable as demons because there's some good jinn. There's, some, there's some, a spectrum, yes. Yeah, there, there, there's some, some jinn who, who you know believe in God, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then there are others who are essentially what the Christians see as demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a good evidence for that, uh, you, you're of course familiar with John Mack and his book Abduction. Absolutely. And um, in that book, he gives a list of the common effects that people have 
you know, on people's, you know, physical health, mental Wait, health. You mean after after a UFO encounter or an encounter well, with after a, clo- a close encounter, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's it's you know, physical and, and, and emotional illnesses, broken marriages, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's a terrible list. Well, the and one I, that I know relate to is that they can't go near computers because they freak out in their vicinity. Well, yeah, um, exactly. You know, and, and it just, you know, a UFO will go over the car, the car engine will die. Obviously, mm-hmm. they have an electromagnetic effect. This is what makes me believe that the electromagnetic spectrum is, as it were, the wall between the physical dimension and the etheric dimension. You're at, hang uh, on, hang on. The hyperdimensional uh, model says electromagnetism yeah. prescinds from torsion field physics, which is synonymous with the ether. It's the boundary between dimensions. That's how that's how you can have that is how that is Charles, that is how you can have a so called free energy device or a space drive that can work without fuel because you're hooking into a higher dimension and you have a pair of invisible ores and you yeah, can go anywhere. But you're hooking in, in, into a higher dimension which is um inhabited uh by, by beings who either will not appreciate that we do that, that we tap into their dimension, you know, walk through their wall, as it were, to pick up some energy, or who will be able to affect us profoundly in God knows what ways through the, these portals we open or, up. Very or, dangerous thing to do. Or let's go back to the Old Testament. <laughs> let's go back to the war in heaven. Let's go back to beings that do not want to have their power rivaled by earthlings, terrestrials, homo sapiens and its related cousins and they've done something to seal us off in this dimension and nasa has provided us with physical visible imagery from the planet mars that this in fact is a real model okay uh, but they're not telling anybody let's, let's talk about those very beings which which whose reality i accept and say, and we got about two minutes to the bottom point, of the hour. What, what if what if those beings wish us to open these portals to their world so they can manifest more directly? Oh no! Wait, 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 wait! That's a really that's a really amazing. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's a really amazing. That's a really amazing idea because um, some of my colleagues, like Andrew Curry, uh, and I, have speculated that this can work one of two ways. Either it's a bubble like the Phantom Zone in the Superman movies which is keeping us we have been in prison for some transgression hyperdimensionally that i can't imagine but may be mythologized in the story of the fall yeah the other possibility is that to prevent exactly what you're proposing higher dimensional beings with a huge inflated sense of ego and power and absolute ruthless non resonance with anything else but their own identity and existence they don't want rivals so our our guys the good guys have helped us erect a a screen a field a barrier so that free will in this reality can function without undue interference from higher dimensional bad guys yes that 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 sounds plausible to me well i like evidence I want to find evidence to tell me which model is correct because it makes a real difference if someone's been trying to 
give us the keys to get out of jail versus someone is desperately trying to break in because this is the only safe spot for trillions of whatever all around. Yeah, well, it, it, w- one of one of the evidences that would help you choose between those two is simply the very bad effects that these beings tend to have on us. They okay. don't they're not very nice. We are at the they bottom like some of them are not very nice. Hang on, we're at the bottom of the okay. hour. My guest this morning is Charles Upton. We're having a real hyper-dimensional beings conversation. Because obviously what our research has indicated very strongly is that we're not just dealing with nuts and bolts spacecraft and ancient human occupation of the solar system, but something much, much beyond. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall be back. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this uh, eve of Christmas Eve of Christmas on Monday. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Charles Upton, and we're talking about the hyperdimensional foundation of the UFO reality. Charles, go for it. Well, yes, it is hyperdimensional, I believe, and... uh... So anyway, just what I was saying before about um, that list of, of terrible effects that uh, John Mack detailed of, you know, people who've had close contact with UFOs and UFO aliens. Um, I went to a Catholic source, a, a, a website about Catholic exorcism, 
and I came up with a list of the effects of demons on human beings. And it was virtually identical to, uh, to John Mack's list. That was very interesting to me. Also, if Wait a minute, you, you mean physical effects on people who reported encounters well, close up yeah, physical, with UFOs? You know, negative physical and psychological effects and social effects, broken marriages, and alienation of affection, whatever. It was a long list, very close to, to, to what Catholic exorcists have, have reported about the effects of demons. That's one uh, reason I think that, that you know it, it is the, the more negative uh, – of, of the beings of that world who, who are producing the majority of the UFO phenomena we're dealing with. Secondly, if, if the deep state is going to, going to make a pact with any of these beings, do you think they're going to choose the nice ones? <laughs> the deep state is not, they're going to choose people who are like them, you know, which, which in itself, uh, uh, basically stands behind the demonic hypothesis. Well, when, let's let's go back to effects on people, physical effects, because again, yeah. I look for empirical evidence to let us decide between theory A and theory B, or maybe yeah. A and B together. I would I would postulate that the negative effects on a lot of people is because of frequency mismatches. If if you're well, not if if, if, if you're not ready at whatever occult spiritual level you want to discuss this, to have your frequency raised by contact with either another being or a being, beings and technology which function at a very different, uh, you know, frequency level, the 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 backlash, the kind of after effects could be very destabilizing in your normal reality yeah yeah that that's that's the old blame the victim ploy you know no it's blame the frequency we're dealing with the physics yeah but you know i mean, when, I mean when, I'm sure you 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 weren't spiritual enough to, to to see me as 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 anything other than a demon so this is what you get i don't i don't buy that really so. no i'm not it, saying that it's again it's not either or it's not binary it can be a spectrum it can be both well, yeah, but 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 there is a preponderance of the evidence on 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 the side of, of this being very these being very toxic beings. That's what I believe. No wait, you mean all encounters, all UFO, you know, close encounters well, of the third kind are 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 negative. I, I wouldn't say all. Uh, let me let me give you two examples of of something other. There was a, a girl I knew who she, she was very highly psychic. Um, she had powers like, you know, she, she, she could charm animals. She could walk up to a wild deer and pet it and things like this. And she had this uh, strange sense of hearing where she could hear earthquakes that no one else could hear, mm. you know. So it was, you know, a very, you know, sort of a, a rare nervous. So we would call her a sensitive to the physics. Yeah. Like, give, let me give an example. In, in, in the yeah. Bay Area where I used to live, I got to know a geologist, I forget his name at the moment, but he had tracked the fact that animals disappeared just before earthquakes. Oh, yeah, they did. And, 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 and in, in the big one in, in Sumatra, uh, the elephants all went up to the highest parts of the island before the tidal wave, and everybody said, oh, my God, ooh, magic. No, they're sensitive to the frequency of the field that human beings either genetically have been desensitized to or through a campaign to keep us down on the farm 
most of us yeah, are now desensitized. Or, 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 or just just through, through the 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 effects of living in civilization and not being in touch with nature at all times, whatever. But so so this this lady, I mean, she saw once uh, something like an elf ship. This was, I believe, it was it was a disc. It was a uf like a UFO. Yeah. It was brilliant green. But what it was doing was flying through the forest as if the trees were not solid. They were just like columns of smoke and it was cutting right through them without cutting them off. It was going right through them. So, you know, I mean... Well, that's definitely a hyperdimensional technology. Yeah, and you know, there was a period where I... I But why did, if if there were beings in the ship, why didn't they appear as beings as opposed to a ship? Well, she was just looking in on them. They weren't coming to... To see her, apparently they were just passing by. So anyway, um, well, the reason I ask that is because it's obvious then that the answer is the technology and the state of civilization of whoever she was seeing involved physical ships that could dematerialize through 3D objects at will. Well, uh, if if they ever became material, and what she was seeing, what what was a quasi-material reality at that point, you know. Because it, it wasn't damaging the trees as if it was material, it would, it would cut the trees off, but it didn't. It was just going through them so they weren't there. So anyway, th- there was a period in my life when after a certain amount of psychedelic use and the abuse of kundalini yoga and uh, such and such, I, I got to where I could look in on the world of the nature spirits or the el- we would call them the elves, whatever they are. And I could do it, and, and finally I could do it without the, the help of drugs and with certain breathing exercises I invented. And I would just look through, you know, the screen of the forest, and this other world would open up, and there they were. So I know, you know, and they, they were not demons. They were not negative. It was just not very good for me personally as a human being to look in on their world just out of pure curiosity. Because Why? Why? Because I was not, it, it was thinning out my essential human substance. It was making me pixelated. You know the word pixelated? Yeah, sure. Pixelated, sure. Pi- pixelated originally. So this was, nowadays, was this, was this, say was, something is was, this out, was this out of me. body experience? No, no, it wasn't out of body, but uh, it was etheric sight. You know, it's like, it probably had to do with third eye or something like that opening up the third eye in a way and looking at the world, looking at a subtler dimension. But of you came terrible. away feeling it was negative as opposed to, okay, this well, is another no, I, I, I came away feeling, oh boy, you know, that, that was fun. But, you know, uh, I, I, if I looked at the whole form of my life, there was other things I should be doing, you know. That was not, um, that was not, it, it See, wait, wait. So you you're looking at this like the trap of hyperdimensional television. Uh, it would be like a drug forever. Just ex- just explore, just exploring. You know, I mean, you know, as as hippies would do. You know, and you know, but but um, it, it was better that I should become less liminal and and more grounded in this world so I could okay. f- fulfill my human responsibilities. Also, uh, but my, my real experience with that world was with the Philippine psychic surgeons. Ah. And I, I went to see them uh, in the Philippines once, and then they came to California. They were coming quite a while until the FDA or whoever it was shut them down. This again know? is in the, in the 70s, late 70s. Uh, uh, were there 
Yeah, actually, probably some of the yeah, some of the eighties as well. Okay. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, see, I'm trying so, to get a context of what was going on in the rest of the culture while you're having these amazing pathway experiences. Oh, <laughs> uh, we were trying to keep the counterculture going, but it wasn't working that well. That's all I remember. Um, but anyway, g- going to uh, the Philippines, you know, the, the psychic surgeons do indeed have the power to reach into your body and feel around in there and pull out something which is supposed to be foreign material, which has to do with an illness, and then close up the incision. There, there's a few drops of blood. Sometimes there's a tiny little twinge of pain, usually not. And and then afterwards, no no ill effects afterwards. They actually popped my eye out of my socket and scraped around in the eye socket and got something out and threw it into the, into the wastebasket, popped my eye back, and I didn't feel any pain at all. So, you know, the, the very, very strange people. Did your um, sight improve? No, I actually, you know, there was less pain and discomfort, you know, because I I have an old injury on that side of my head and concussion. And it it, it definitely Mm. felt a lot better after that, but it didn't improve my sight. And they they admitted, they said, well, we don't have much of a better um, record of healing than conventional medicine. We just have different techniques, Mm. you know. They said, you know, about about a third get healed, about a third get improved, improved, and about a third nothing happens. So that there was, you know, I appreciated her being straight with us. But what they do, they work with spirit helpers. They work undoubtedly with, um, you know, helpful members of the jinn race. Um, and I say the jinn be, be, because the, the, the way they were able to dematerialize and then rematerialize the human body is kind of like, you know, the way UFOs will appear and disappear. Also, the, the foreign material they pull out of the body sometimes just dematerializes later, you know. Um, so this, this, this is all within the parameters of the jinn world. So there are helpful jinn. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if the helpful jinn fly around in, in the same kind of spaceships that these other bastards do. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, it's all evil, but I'm just saying that, that, that if, if you look at the entire effect of UFO belief on, on the human race, you know, it, what one of the worst things, and even this is true even of the good and helpful gin, is they're immensely distracting. It's very hard to focus your attention on God and on the unity of God, which is the highest, you know, reality of which we can, can conceive and we can cannot entirely even conceive of it. But at least we can know that it is beyond our conception and, and we, we can, you know, see it's a, the effects of that reality and open to them. That takes a great centered centeredness of consciousness, whereas uh, if you get too involved in what, what are called intermediary plane beings, the jinn and other beings like that, um, your consciousness becomes scattered. It's fascinating to follow these different highways and byways into these different worlds, but the, the, the net effect is um, meditation, contemplation become harder for you. At least that was my experience. Hmm. And, and the, also it's possible, you know, that, that – uh, 
say you're interacting with one of the jinn who is working through the psychic surgeon and is helping, you know, helping you and, you know, helping your condition and this and this. And it seems like there's been an improvement, but, but you may not entirely materialize again on a very subtle level. In other words, you are now open and much more uh, negative entities can come in later. Uh, it's, it's like a post-operative infection on the psychic level. This is another danger. So, Well, hang on. Um, this goes back to the idea that we're in a shield as opposed to a prison. And that something set up a system where these higher dimensional influences, either positive or negative, yeah. cannot reach us without a great deal of effort on our part because this is supposed to be an environment where something different is taking place. And I, I wish we had our, our resident metaphysician, uh, George Lambert, with us tonight because this is an area that obviously and I am not expertise bound on and, and I, I look to well, other people who have spent more time studying it. But it seems to me we're dealing with uh, this again this reality we think of as so normal from my research, it's not normal at all. In fact, it's, it's so abnormal, it raises the question, are we being protected or are we being imprisoned? Well, uh, you know, the, the Gnostics would say that we're being imprisoned, but I, I don't think the Gnostics have the whole story. They, they saw the, the, the imprisoning aspects of material reality and that gave them a certain insight into various forms of oppression, you know, subtle and gross. So they were, they had some value, but the, the truth is we're being protected here. That's what I'm more, that's more true. And, but, but not, not just protected, but we're being challenged. There's certain, you know, the difficulty of the constriction of the material world brings certain uh, tendencies in us and certain, you know, in, intents in us to, to, to uh, it brings them to a head. You know, we, we, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of well, but isn't that applying a kind of a 3D perspective to a hyperdimensional reality? Well, Cause, I mean, because I've we're always put, wondered we're put this in, in this 3, 3D uh, uh, perspective in order to deal with the laws that operate here and get something done, and it's hard. To imagine what that is, I mean, if you look at near-death experiences, people, you know, go go to an immensely expanded world, a world of love, and 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 well, some of them go to hell actually, but you know, so many of these stories, you go to to a a world of of, of divine love and 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 you know, infinite bliss and 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 infinite knowledge, and and then they were told, well, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to go back. Oh, I don't want to leave. Please, please, oh, you gotta go back. So you go back and you go into this terribly constricted, narrow straitjacket of a world. And, and the question is, why? If everything in that world is so perfect, why do we have to come here? What? You know, well, that, that's harder to answer than, than e even talking about the, the nature of that other world. You know, why you have to come back. But there is a reason. There's certain things that the difficulty of physical life um, faces us with. It allows us to get certain things done spiritually that we couldn't do any any other way. It's it's like it's like a handicap. It's like lifting weights, you know. Mm. You know. But these and, are all three D analogies. See what I don't well, understand. I, I'm, I'm, spe I'm on, speaking of the nature I, of three D reality. I, only. Well, exactly as as you are perceiving it. Let me let me give you some other ideas. Okay. okay. If in fact 
existence is infinite and forever, okay. then in an infinite amount of time, anything can happen, including evolution of consciousness that some models claim requires the entropy, the strife, the death, the horribleness of 3D reality. Just look at the news tonight yeah. to accomplish. So if, if we're not on a fast track, if no one's holding a stopwatch on us, why would we be constricted to this kind of a insane asylum when all we have to do is exist and it will happen ultimately evolutionarily by its course because we have infinite amount of time? Well, that infinite amount of time can get to be quite a drag, particularly if it's an infinite amount of time under hellish conditions where... Why would it, it be hellish conditions? Well, I, okay. See, what, I'm, what I've come to realize is that all of the experts I know, Georgia notwithstanding, I don't think we know much of anything about what's beyond the barrier, beyond the other side. On the, I think we've been fed propaganda. And if we've been fed propaganda, it's probably not good propaganda. And I say this based on other evidence, which is building an alternate reality. And that's where I'm so intrigued with why is this time of all time we could have been alive, you and me and Kinthea and Keith and Andrew oh, and all of our, why are we here now? Because as my dear friend Gene Roddenberry said one day, he said, this is an e-ticket, which is a metaphor from Disney World where the best rides, you get an e-ticket for the best rides. This is one hell of a ride. Now, is it more than that? Are we so bored that we had to expose ourselves to this to shake us out of our boredom so we'd feel something after, as you said, it gets awfully boring. Or I, 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 I tend to say that, that, you know, the difficulty of these times were forging values that could not be forged in any, in any other way. That's a model. That's a model. Yeah, that's a model. Well, it's every, everything you say, every conception. Well, yeah, but exactly. But that's where evidence comes in. That's where science comes in. That's where having a process. Well, I mean, what is, does, does science answer that question? Why are we here in this hard world? I mean, it, it, it has to given that science has, are, Given you know? that science, as we know it, has been so constricted, so this reality is never imagined, you know, never the twain shall meet. Those are things you're not supposed to know until you die. I think we are living in a forced artificial version of reality where all the keys to breaking out to expanding our dimension to back where we should belong in the prison model have been withheld from us so we don't break out of prison. And one of the most extraordinary conflicts going on on Earth right now tonight between Israel and the Palestinians is emblematic of that 3D version of a higher dimensional war to keep us in prison. Yeah. So let's get back to the UFOs and the beings in them or around them or masquerading as them. Well, what did I say I was going to say here? Let me read this. <laughs> Take your time. Um, See, to well, me, okay, this say, is no, all legitimate questioning. I, I wanted to say about the near-death experience. Thing. You okay. know, uh, there, are there are people, and I've heard this from many different people, you know, uh, they're a place where they're talking to God or Jesus or the guardian angel or whoever, the guide, 
and, and, and they ask all the questions in the world and every question is answered like, you know, the questions that have bothered them all their lives. And I said, well, of course. Why didn't I, 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 I always knew that. Why did I forget that? You know, it's a piece of cake. That's, that's the easiest, you know, but, the, but then there's one. Yeah, and, and then they ask, but, but why does there have to be limitation if the, if the unlimited is, is, is so perfect? And they're told that, and then they go back and they, they ask, well, on their way back, will I remember what you told me? And, and the guide says, you will remember everything but the answer to the last question, why you have to go back. So it, it's really the great, the great enigma. But so the, the, this, this is where something like faith comes in. You know, there, there, is, there is a reason. There's a profound reason. Otherwise, we would all just, you know, let's just all commit suicide and and uh, and go to a better place, you know. Why don't we do that? Why 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 do we have to be afraid of death? Why do we have to be tired of living but scared of dying, as the song goes? Mm. Because there's a real reason to be here, and we're not supposed to know it. <laughs> well, maybe we on. know it a little. Bit, if we you know? are in prison, that would follow. You don't want prisoners to know they're prisoners. You do everything to keep them from ever knowing they're prisoners. Well, well why are we kept? What? Who? Who would would, would ah. stand to lose if 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 we if we became free if we broke aren't, out? Aren't, isn't that the appropriate question? So bringing it back to the UFO thing, I'm watching this convergence beginning in 2017 of mainstream reality, empirical science, you know, Harvard graduates like uh, Avi Loeb. The whole ball of wax of credible authoritarian 3D reality is suddenly mm-hmm. saying, after decades of dying, yeah, there's, there, there, it's all out there, and we can't show it to you for X number of decades. And then we, <laughs> no one can compel us to show it to you. We, we decide, kind of like uh, Dr. Morbius and Forbidden Planet, from time to time I will dole out those portions yes. of the Krell technology that I yeah. deem suitable. Well, it aggregates to no common community purpose, politique, arbitrary authoritative decision-making on the part of individuals to withhold the keys to the kingdom. And there's no end in sight. So what's, what's the antidote? To me, the antidote is in going from it can't be real to it's real, but we can't show you. Because once you release ordinary people's perception of something that is real, but they're not being allowed to taste, touch, feel, or use, you have set yourself on a course for inevitable, ultimate disclosure of that reality. And that's where I think we are tonight, at that break point. And what you're saying is that beyond the fence, there are parts of this that are very, very dangerous unless we understand who's there what they're trying to do yeah and and the the way the way out depends upon what our destination i mean it isn't isn't just in the prison out of the prison you 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 can you can be released for from a prison and just you know released into a world of infinite possibilities where you might do this you might do that and it's it's chaos or you you can have a definite goal and the definite goal is defined by the spiritual paths of the major world religions which have to do with salvation of the soul enlightenment liberation whatever you want to call it that that is the direct vertical path 
that's the way out because if, if, if we come out of this prison into just more possibilities, less constriction, more possibilities, this could lead to chaos un- unless we are headed directly toward absolute reality. And because a- absolute reality is the source of everything and it's the apex of the ontological pyramid, if you will, and every higher world is closer to that absolute reality. We need to be oriented in that way. That's the way out of the prison, because if we break out sideways, we can go into what it says in the Gospels, uh, you know, into the darkness outside where there's the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. So we've got to be very one-pointed at the, uh, as to what our goal is. And, and, and religion at its best is, is, is what defines that goal and defines the, the way to realize that goal. The problem is that religions are in pretty bad shape now. And, well, you know, looking back historically, religions have always been perverted. Well, there, 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 was, there was always something very true and very beautiful to pervert, to pervert then. They weren't just perversions to begin with. They were revelations well, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Catholic faith, and we're literally within a couple of minutes of the top of the hour, so we have to kind yeah, of yeah. You know, set up for what we're going to talk about in the next half hour, yeah. which, which I would like to come back to the idea of UFOs and deception and how it is manifesting in the current political unfolding in Washington, because there's a very 3D process going on. Yeah. Nothing about it yet involves the place where I'm standing, which is artifacts, ancient libraries, where we can find out from their own words what our predecessors, the larger family of which the human species from our model is part of, what they've learned, what they've stored away, what they, you know, internalized, and what happened to cause such an extraordinary catastrophe in the solar system uh, that we can see in the actual record, and we yeah, will get. I, I, I would like we to will get. We will get to all of that when we return. My friend Charles Upton. Notice I'm saying he's a friend because anybody who's on this path and stays on it has got to be a friend. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. This is Adventures with the theme from the Twilight Zone. Have we been forever in the twilight zone because somebody has wanted us to stay here? We shall return. side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale 
and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight for this now um, Saturday night, Sunday morning edition. We are now officially in Christmas Eve. Welcome, everyone. Merry Christmas. Tomorrow night, I mean later tonight, we're going to have a very amazing exploration and journey into the origins of Christmas, which I believe are tied to this time of year which is tied to the physics, which is dependent on the winter solstice and the alignments and energy and information transfer that occurs annually in that window and no other time. And there's all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, remember, I've talked about everywhere, everything all at once. There is such amazing, never-before-seen stuff going on. From, you know, Trump and his tribulations and trials to the declassification of the, there are UFOs and there is technology to the horrible wars, two of them, going on to a glimmer in the eye of Putin that maybe one of them can come to a close. All of this in our model is occurring when the physics, based on the Mayan calendar, which is not exactly right about 2012. It was a few years later. That crescendo of the background of the physics because of the literal geometry of the solar system recreating these energy conduits and paths to higher dimensional reality now is where everybody is showing up and some are interfering. And I don't think it's an accident, but some are trying to interfere to keep the disclosure process of higher dimensional realities and everything that Charles and I have talked about from coming out into the open. There is opposition. There's what they used to call in Washington pushback, which could include such things as what went on in Hawaii, what's been going on in the Middle East and other places. So, back to my guest of the morning, Charles. How does the contemporary UFO phenomenology, particularly what's going on politically, feed into the idea that there are some folks that are trying to intrude into the nursery and change things for the worse? Well, uh, if we end up taking as our ultimate reality as, as you know, the horizon of, re, of existence, uh, beings who appear as the UFO aliens, 
or as Jack Sarfati would say, the time travelers, or as other people throughout time have called the jinn or the fairies, if we put our attention on them and say they are the reality that we want to understand, they are the reality that we believe in, they are the reality that perhaps we hope will save us, but in any case, that's the highest thing we know, then we have forgotten God. We have cut ourselves off from the source of our very life. And we will wither on the vine if we let our attention be fixed by those realities. We need to know enough about them to, to, to have a general idea of what they are, but they will not save us. And it is not particularly healthy to spend all our time looking at them. Because if we do, we will not be able to fix the eye of the heart, as the Sufis call it, upon Allah, upon God, upon the absolute reality, upon absolute truth, power, love, and wisdom in, in, in unity, in, in, in an absolute transcendent unity. We will not be able to do that anymore. And that will be ultimately the beginning of the end of the human race. That's the problem. Okay. Notwithstanding details, let me let me leap ahead and say if that's the problem, you've written a book. Why don't you talk about your book? And I don't think we have a link uh to your book. We need to put that in the Skype chat so that Keith can post it. Yeah, I, I, I sent I sent that a little late, but I did send it. So yeah. Okay, so it's somewhere there in your emails, Keith, I guess. So yeah, it's, it's, so what 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 is the subject of the book? In other words, when you write a book called the alien uh uh, you know, UFO. The, the alien disclosure deception yeah. subtitle, The Metaphysics of Social Engineering, available from Amazon under that title. Uh, well, it's what I've been saying, you know, that, that put, put, it, put it this way. Aleister Crowley, one of the most evil people who ever lived, uh, back in his day did something called uh, the Amalantra workings, that's one of his magical, you know, magical uh, experiments or whatever. During that, he channeled a being called Lamb, L-A-M, and he drew a picture of this lamb. And the, the, this this lamb being uh, looked very much like what we know today as the, as the gray, as the kind of alien who's well, the gray. Well, the, the guy in the center of my banner for tonight. Yeah, with a big head and so, large dark and, eyes. And, and, and he was this guy was bad. This guy was bad news. You know, he 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 spoke highly of human sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. He was a bad dude. He also worked for British intelligence and a number of. Oh, you, you weren't know. talking about Lang. You're talking about Crowley. I'm talking about Crowley. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and uh, one of Crowley's, uh, two of Crowley's. Um, Students were L. Ron Hubbard, who founded the Church of Scientology, who started out as a science fiction writer, and uh, the, the, the famous and inimitable Jack Parsons. Who was one uh, of the founders of JPL. Yeah. Which is yeah, the JPL preeminent, and, and which, the is, which, is, which, is, which is the preeminent robotic unmanned exploration of NASA, right. of the solar. Right. Well, a lot of people don't know stuff. Charles, you have to give people time to kind of yeah, catch well, that's, up. That, that's you know, Jack Parsons, yeah, and, and he was also a co-founder of the Aerojet Corporation. Yep. And and he was an early rock, you know rocket scientist, and he would do 
pagan invocations at his rocket launchings. Uh, he was prominent enough in the power structure to have a crater named after him on the dark side of the moon. So this guy... You mean, and, you mean, you mean the far side? I, I like to say the dark side. I know that's, that's a little archaic. It's but I, not dark. It's, I enjoy, it's, I enjoy it's light, saying it's, it's light every two weeks. By the yeah, way, do you know that do you, do you know that they have discovered now the uh, the South Koreans have sent a mission yeah into orbit around the moon. They've discovered, of course, the domes I talk about, the incredible super technological domes covering the entire moon. But the front side is so deteriorated and and eroded compared to the far side. Well, they've got a mystery. They found that magnetism of the moon radically is different between the near side yeah, heard, and the far that. and they have no idea why and we do because it has to do with the dome and it was actually verified back in 1946 by the US army in an experiment which came out of Fort Monmouth New Jersey sending primitive World War II radar beams to and from the moon and picking up the echo. Now, if you look at the actual math, the antennas and the radio that the Army used in Project Diana, named after, of course, the uh, Roman goddess of the moon, mm -hmm. uh, were not powerful enough without masers and other super low-noise technology to pick up an echo. And I can demonstrate on the graphs from 1946 that there's clearly an echo and the echo looks exactly like the kind of delayed echo you would get from an echo from an electrically active material surrounding the moon and bouncing around inside okay, for a while. Well, maybe someday and, we'll find and, out exactly what's going on there. And, but and, to and get hang back on, to hang Jack on, Parsons. And, and being amplified. Well, now, Jack, to get back Parsons, to Jack Parsons, Jack he also Parsons, said that his... His purpose in life was to destroy Christianity. And if you go on, on YouTube, it may still be there. There's uh, an, an old film that, that's, been, that's been put on YouTube. And there's some hall in which you can hear there's an audience there. And there's Jack Parsons on the, on the stage or wherever. And he's got this box in front of him. And uh, – what it is is something on the order of an electronic Ouija board. Now we were talking about how oh. UFO aliens or, or spacecraft. Can we post a link to this video in your section? Tonight? I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, you have to search for it because I, I didn't keep the link. Ah. I just, well, you know, we'll, we'll see anyway. Anyway, so he's got the, and, and, and you know how we were talking about, um, I mean, if it's still there, you can do Jack Parsons and you'll find it. Um, so, uh, well, maybe, well, maybe right. They could right. It's but the kind of books, stuff you're not supposed to know. It's not the kind know. of thing that YouTube would would scrub. You know, <laughs> just the kind of thing they. How love. do you know? Well, I don't. Uh, anyway, but um, so w w what he's doing, he's got something like an electronic Ouija board, and you know how we're talking about UFO, whatever they are, the aliens, their spacecraft. They can affect electronic devices. They can, yes, they can scramble yes. computers and things like that. In other words, they have an electromagnetic effect. So he, knowing that, he created a device where through that electromagnetic effect, they could, as it were, do the same thing as moving the planchette on a Ouija board and, and transmit messages. 
So and and he he, he so was he tried to build he built himself a hyperdimensional transceiver. Yeah. Okay. There you go. And it was rather rudimentary, but yes. And he uh, he was channeling or whatever you would call it, communicating with a beam, being he called Babylon, B-A-B-A-L-O-N, Babylon. And uh, he said, uh, you know, that, that this was during a period when he was doing a magical operation called the Babylon Workings. Right. And he said to his audience, he said, this is be done now. That this is how we invoke demons. This is what he said. And I, I take him at his word. Well, isn't the Greek – are you still there, Charles? Yes, I am here. Okay. Uh, isn't the Greek word daimon, which is corrupted in English or in Latin to demon, yeah. it, it's not synonymous with little Satan. It's, it's, it's synonymous with a non-corporeal consciousness from yeah, some it's, other it's, realm. It's pretty much synonymous with the jinn. Yeah, you know? in other words, it could yeah, be bad the, or the, good. The, the daimonies, you know, what you know, you you have in in the Greek system, you you have material reality, then you have the world of the the daimonies, right? You know, which is subtler, and then subtler than that, or higher than that, is is the realm of the gods, and then higher than that is the realm of the one. Well, you know, Babylon and, in the actual Sumerian means gateway to the gods. Yeah, gate gate of God, right? Yeah. Right. So but, here we are dealing with hyperdimensional beings. Uh, Jack Parson, one of the founders of JPL, which cannot go to a flyby or a landing on any planet, was going through an extraordinary ritual, which we've documented for decades, including the upcoming mission, uh, private mission to the moon called Peregrine, which is going to land on February 24th, or 23rd of 2024. And February 24th, David Copperfield is going to make the moon disappear. <laughs> you laugh what if he does it then your question will be how the hell did he do that yeah that would, that would be an interesting well that's question. where we come back to the dome around the moon and evidence I have that somebody's been experimenting with it that it's electronically active that the US Army picked up its amplification properties in 1946 and this recent story about the South Koreans finding their rasp different electrical properties between the side of the moon facing the earth and the side of the moon away is all consistent with a physics where if it's a plant, if this is part of disclosure and this magician makes the moon disappear, the night of the full moon, which is February 24th, won't you be interested in how he does it? Well, yeah, but I'm more interested in the question of if we pray to the moon, could, might it show us mercy and enlighten us and purify our hearts and give us strength and courage and, and give us uh, a, a way to treat our, our fellow human beings with greater love and greater respect? Can we, can we, is it, could this moon be a god or a goddess? Will it work as goddess? Because if it, if it won't work as a goddess, I'm only... Uh, you know, peripherally interested in it. Okay. I'm interested well, if in you're God. talking I'm interested in God, I'm not interested in any kind of being or planet or sentient computer or whatever else you could possibly imagine that might be fascinating, but it's not going to save your soul. Yeah, but what if it's controlling human life in three dimensions? What if it's the great deceiver? 
Well, okay, you know, you, you, you need to go beyond it to find the God who is the great enlightenment. No, you do. And, 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 not, and not worship, not worship yeah, a created you, being. You worship a created being, you're what is called an idolater. And that's not going to do, do you any good. Do you believe there's a hierarchy of consciousness from us all the way through higher realms to where, you know, the, the seraphim, the cherubim in yes. orbit around God, and they Indeed. could act as gods in their own realm if it took a mind to, and that's where we get the concept of Satan. Someone lower than God, the first prime mover, yeah. deciding to act like God and not serve but be served. In other words, yeah, and then that's that's the, the the concept of the Gnostic demiurge. Yeah, right? exactly. Oath. Well, right. remember Arthur Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology, and where are you? You're dealing with things that can look like gods and aren't. Exactly, and that 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 is what we've got now with the, the UFO phenomenon. Did you ever they, see? They did, wish did, to be worshipped. Did you they, ever? They, hang on, they, hang on. They, hang they, on. They, they want to wow us with their powers and and whatever they can do. Well, wait, 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 wait. Physically, wait, what because if, they want our worship and they want to divert us, what our if, worship away from the real God, Charles, from the true Charles, and living God. Charles, what about, and they're doing a very good job of it. Charles, what if in the physics, their power comes from being worshipped? Like God's comes from being worshipped. In other words, yeah, it's, it's all about a reciprocal arrangement between devotee and that who to whom you well, are devoted. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what pagan gods are. That's why pagan gods need animal sacrifices and all of this and all of this and incense and whatever we do to, because we have to keep feeding our gods or they will fade away. The, tr- the true God is not like that. We don't have to keep feeding him to keep him, him well, existing. Well, how, do you, how do you know? The two, uh, the, the, be, the, because, the, because the eye of my heart is open to where I can see him. That's how I know. See, you're talking about a, a belief at a personal level that is not democratizable. If we're trying to alert a mainstream, you know, uh, non-religious culture, that there are dangers in opening doorways to higher dimensional realities because yeah. what could come through is not necessarily good for beagles right. or begonias. Then we have to keep it at a level where people don't have to believe in anything to be aware of realities that yeah, are beyond there's, their there's some There is some reason to do that. So, so I refer people to, to John Mack's description of, of the effects of these beings on, on many people, which is extremely negative. It's all there. Would you look at a model where an extraterrestrial consciousness comes through a human um, savant, a human figurehead, a human vehicle? Oh, that, that's been vi- happening. Vehicle. That's been happening a lot in the past several decades. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of certain examples in particular. Because what I'm fascinated by is that we are now in a situation where in the history of the United States, one third of the population are believing in people that any rational assessment of the data says are not worthy of being believed in. But this has transcended normal politics. We're at the area of other occult mechanisms and energies and control. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And isn't it interesting, it's all occurring where in the physics model, it says that this is the window where we get to decide our very future depending on what we 
believe? Well, that's we're always at that point. Not really. according to our model. There are times when it's much easier than now. We're, we're at that bottom of the barrel, the, the so-called Kali Yuga. Yeah, well, I mean, if if I if I didn't believe something like that, I wouldn't probably accept an interview like this, you know, because I do have something to say, and obviously I must hope that somebody out there might hear something true in what I'm saying, you know, and there, there is a reason to say it. So, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that, because we are de- definitely we're in apocalyptic times, but you know, I mean, I mean, in a certain sense, the apocalypse is. You know, it has been written. It's it's basically set on its course, and we're not going to do something that, that that is suddenly going to overcome, you know, centuries and millennia of the effects of our own actions. Though those actions are going to be harvested. What it is is how do we take the right attitude toward apocalyptic times? What is the spiritual opportunity of times like this? That's the question that not not a lot of people. You know, ask what, what they, they, they either they either say, well, you know, uh, we got to survive the apocalypse, so let's move to Idaho and, and you know and, and you know and and, and we'll, we'll live in the bunker and we'll, we'll have a lot of food and weapons and you know and we'll survive the you know that's one attitude. The other attitude is, you know, we, we what we can do, you know, uh, spiritually or whatever other way is, we can bring in the apocalypse. Therefore, we're controlling it because we're the ones that are bringing it in. You know, these are two forms of insanity. You know, you you can't go either of those ways. What you have to do is say, how can the incredibly rigorous, powerful energies on every level that are hitting the human race now and emanating, coming to us and emanating from us, how can those energies be used to lift the veil from the human heart? You know, to purify the heart, you know, to purify it of, of, of hatred, greed, lust, anger, and all the poisons that, that, that um, you know, that, that limit the human soul. And how can we lift, you know, the, the, the veils and the curtains from the eye of the heart so we can see more deeply into reality? You know, it, this is a time where we can do that a lot more swiftly than we could before complacency is gone nobody's oh well i can always you know maybe in another 10 years i'll you know after after i make my five million i'll quit and meditate no you have to do it now so we're being challenged to to you know release our baggage and and, and purify when you meditate you're opening a doorway yeah. How do you guard against what comes through? Uh, for me, and this is just me, you know, and with what what we Sufis do is uh, it's what some people would understand as mantra yoga, but we, we we constantly pronounce the name of God in our minds, you know, and 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 therefore you know concentrate upon the reality of the absolute. We don't just open and say what whatever comes, let it come. We concentrate on that. We, you know, I, I, I use the shahada, which is, um, you know, it's, it's from from the one of the surahs of the Quran, and it's what Muslims say when they're, you know, adopting Islam, when they're entering into Islam. There's no god but God, 
Muhammad is his prophet. We don't, I don't you know, just say there's no God but God. And we say that in Arabic. And you just say that with every breath. And that, that centers you on absolute reality. You, you know, so, so if, 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 you know, if wandering thoughts or, or if influences from the jinn, sometimes very fascinating influences, how would you like to look into this beautiful world in which, ooh, you know, there's, there's beautiful maidens and castles and incredible forests. You know, no, no thanks. There's no God but God. You just stay on that. And uh, at least d- during during the period of, of when you're meditating, See, that, one of the things that I'm a little confused text. about is you say that the the creation of a UFO ET religion, a one world new way of thinking about yeah. connections to higher dimensional realities, is part of an agenda, the deceptive agenda at yeah. political and religious and other levels to basically manipulate the, you know, 8 billion people into thinking things they're not currently thinking. But at the heart of every uh, uh, one of the world's great religions, and some that are not deemed great or religious, there is this hyperdimensional connection. There's always a relationship of the created to the creator. So yeah. if, you're, if you're simply giving people a different perspective on the creator – why is that destroying classical religion? Because the, the, the UFO aliens or whatever you want to call them or the time travelers, what, they are not our creators. They did not create us. Yeah, but do they, they claim? They want us to believe that do they you, are our creators. Who, what, why, how, when, where? Who has communicated to the human race that they're the human race's creators in the ET realm, in the UFO realm? This is a myth which is coming in more and more. Yeah, but who specifically, who is saying it, you know, championing it, who is saying, as all this political stuff's going on, okay, God is going to show up in a spaceship on December 31st, 2024? It's, well, God is not going to show up. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing... No, what they claim like, would be like, God. Like, the, the, the Zuni Indians, for example, I, I have one chapter which is... Uh, detailed um, critique of an, the Netflix original series Top Secret UFO Projects Declassified 2021. Um, you know, there's, there's a Zuni elder who said, you know, apparently these uh, aliens, uh, you know, uh, they, they came to come to us, uh, you know, many moons ago and, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they they fixed our DNA, you know, they fixed us up, you know, so like, uh, you know, and you you just, you hear this from, you know, listen for it. You, you'll hear. People. Well, wait, 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 wait. Going back to Brookings and the idea that we need to be prepared for a yeah. bigger reality. Yeah. On the air for the last decades, there's been a show called Stargate SG-1. Yeah. One, one of my favorite shows because it basically lays out the model that if someone shows up saying they're God, question as kirk said in star trek 5 why do they need a spaceship in other words the real gods don't need yeah. anything any of these appurtenances they can just be anywhere he she or it wants and doesn't need a spaceship in other words well that's true. how it's would like, you like tell the difference necessarily gonna, they're not going to say they're they are god what they're the the the, the theory is well okay uh, are you familiar with the intelligent design movement? You know, which sure. 
you know, it's it's not it's not it's not the young earth creationists who believe that the because the Bible said the earth is six thousand years old and you know and that we have to believe that and and the reason we find dinosaur fossils is because God put those there to test. Okay, I'll tell you what, we're we're at the bottom of the hour. Yeah. My guest this morning is Charles Upton. We are having what Kissinger would have said was a meaningful and substantive conversation about something that's very hard to have a deep conversation these days. There's so much disinformation. You're on the other side of midnight. Last half hour to go. When we come back, I'll give out some phone numbers if you want to join the conversation. If you're a member of the Enterprise team and you're dying to say something, by all means, you're going to say something. You're going to come on the air and you're going to uh, either agree with Charles or agree with me or disagree or whatever. Anyway, we shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back to the other side of midnight for this Christmas Eve here in the land of enchantment and everywhere else within the sound of my voice, I would presume, if you're listening to terrestrial radio, if you're on the Internet, anywhere on the globe. The numbers, if you want to talk to Charles and ask him a question, if I haven't thought of enough really far out questions, 917-889-8802. We have not begun to plumb the depths of what this all means. I'll tell you what, let's go through the chapter headings, uh, Charles, of your book, because maybe okay. we can get a more organized idea of your beginning, middle, and end of your research in terms of aliens who you do not want to take home necessarily to mama. Nor do I want them to take me home either. (laughs) Uh, Very good, very good. So, okay, well, it says introduction, the year of the great disclosure, which is just you're talking about whatever was going on 21, and there's, you know, it's been the great disclosure ever since then, certainly, and some years before. Okay, this is called parts instead of chapters. Part one, the UFO phenomenon and traditional metaphysics cracks in the Great Wall. Here's where I'm essentially bringing together 
the ufology of Jacques Vallée and the metaphysics of a French metaphysician called René Guénon. He said that as this cycle of manifestation or manvantara draws to a close, as we get near the end of the Kali Yuga, cracks will start to appear in the wall separating physical reality from subtle reality or etheric reality. And what will happen is what will come through those cracks first will be beings from the infrapsychic, demonic or you know, ghostly or whatever, you know, low, lower, lower vibrational entities will start coming through. Um, and, but finally, a crack will open in the upper dimension, and that's where the, the angelic powers will come through, and ultimately, um, the Messiah of the Second Coming, that all religions, um, you know, revealed religions uh, predict, you know, that the Buddhists call him Maitreya, um, Christians call him Christ, the Muslims call him the prophet Jesus, um, he's Saushant to the Zoroastrians, um, Kalki Avatara to the Hindus, and he will sweep away the old world, which we see is very close to being swept away at this point, and bring it, bring a new cycle. So that. Part two, UFOs, mass, mind control, and the saints of Satan, the Aulia al-Shaitan. Well, that's a lot about what I've been talking about. Mass, I'm, I'm talking about how the, 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 the belief in um, the uh, UFO aliens as the equivalent of gods. You know, I, I, I sent to, to a large UFO um, email group uh, one of these later chapters, actually, it's uh, part five. Um, the, and and I, I, I sent that to them and I said, well, what, what we're seeing here is, is a massive uh, social engineering campaign that's going on for decades and generations. And it's about to bear fruit. And uh, I sent that and one of, one of the uh, people it got to was Jack Sarfati. Jack Sarfati says, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, because you <laughs> well, don't know he, he says that to everybody. Well, so. I know. You know well, he, he, he knows better than anybody else. And there's the most interesting some, some thing about the most interesting, he does know better the, than most, anybody. the most interesting thing about Jack, beside his physics, which is hyperdimensional physics. Yeah. Yeah. Is his report of the telephone calls he got from some intelligence, some intelligent AI computer when he yeah. was just a kid and that dovetails with John Lear's reportage of a soul catcher on the moon, which goes yeah, back to the dovetails with with uh, uh, Philip K. Dick's concept of Valis. Yes, yes, yes. Novels, so are exactly are these other windows into the same kind of reality you're talking yeah, about? But, but anyway, I, I, I was saying, you know. Uh, we're, we're getting near to UFO religion, and, and, and then he came back. It is a religion. That's yeah. the problem. It's a religion. It's not been a science. It hasn't been allowed well, to he, be a he science. He came back and he said, "All, all," he said, "All, uh, all our gods are time travelers," because that's what he calls the aliens as time travelers. He thinks they're us from the future. And and I said, "Well, fine," but that could easily be inverted to, to say that these time travel travelers or these aliens are our gods 
So anyway, that's what happened with well, him. It's right, it's right out of SG1. Hey, we've got some callers. You want to okay. feel uh, I, I, there's a really interesting guy who's going yeah, yeah. to give you a run for your money. His name is Robert Morningstar. He's a member oh, yeah. of, of yeah, our I, group. I, I, I was on his show once. Yeah. Well, Robert is now on our show. Robert, good morning. Hi, Welcome Richard. Back to the other side of midnight. Hi, Richard. Hi, Charles. Great to hear you tonight. Uh, First of all, first and foremost, I want to wish you and everyone else a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. And uh, I thought I would ask uh, Charles to apprise Richard and the audience of the legend of Harut and Marut, the two angels who were uh, foolish enough to come down to Earth. And it would explain a lot about the density of the earth plane when angels come down and then cannot return and what happens to them. Um, I'm sure you're familiar now, with Harut uh, Marut. This, this is a story from the Quran where uh, a reference is made to two angels, Harut and Marut, who taught magic to the human race at Babylon. And, um, and then it says, um, but before they taught this magic to the human beings, they said, you know, we are only a deception. We are only a, a misdirection. So don't believe us. And then but, but, but people said, but, but wow, you know, the magic. I mean, okay, but maybe you are. But it would be so great to know magic. And so plenty of people ignored them, ignored their warning and learned the magic anyway. So, yeah. And it's also said, strangely enough, one of the major effects of the magic taught by Harut and Marut was to cause dissension between husband and wife, which is interesting because that's one of the effects of uh, encounter with the UFO aliens that is detailed by John Mack. Exactly that. Yes. Okay, Robert. The other part that I thought would be very interesting is the fact that they uh, came down and they wanted to experience uh, life among humans and they uh, they took some delight in committing crimes, but they found that they were unable to return to heaven. Then God offered them a choice between punishment on earth or in hell, and they decided for punishment on earth, leading to their situation, in, uh, as mentioned in the Quran. And so they go around uh, introducing sorcery, but they also warn the uh, prospective sorcerer or magician that there were going to be negative consequences and people still follow them. But I think it is uh, a parallel to the fallen angels uh, in the book of Enoch. That Yeah, very much. That's what I was going to say. That, well, the whole fallen, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up. It's the physics. It's the frequency mismatch. Going down is easier than coming back up because it's a, anyway, let me ask you a very important well, question. Yeah. Do you believe in hyperdimensional possession. And let me define what I mean. That at these times, cyclic, which is in tune with the processional cycle, the gate between dimensions is open wider, the frequency matches easier, the physics is more aligned, that entities' consciousness from higher dimensions, either for good or ill, can come through and tamper in our nursery. Because I'm looking at things going on on Earth tonight, like Gaza, like Ukraine, and I'm looking at reportage, video, you know, first-person witnesses of an incredibly demonic, fiendish delight in the Hamas terrorists who slaughtered the 1400 in Israel. 
And now on the part of the Israelis doing the same thing to the Palestinians to the point where they shot three of their own because they're not really there. The bodies that are currently conducting these wars at some unknown level are literally being controlled by hyper-dimensional negative bad guy consciousness. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, you can a, – a lot of the mindless, horrible violence you see in this world, in, in, including someone who decides that the best idea would be go out and shoot 20 or 30 people on the street like that, yep. you know, you, you immediately say to yourself, this looks like a, a mass demonic possession. It really does. So – Hyperdimensional, demonic, you know, to me, these are generally synonymous when you're talking about, I mean, hyperdimensional is not just demonic, but, you know, we're talking about. Exactly. It's just a means to get a consciousness from there to here, wherever here is. Yeah. But, but, you know, so, okay, if, 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 there, if negative stuff, if there are bad guys, says that negative stuff will come through first and then finally it will go too far and, and the positive stuff will come through, which will also be pretty hairy because they, they will have to, the, the, the angelic forces will have to, you know. Un- well, wait un- a minute. Well, if, if this is all of the realm of consciousness and energy and focus, which saved yeah. my life, positive effect, guys, I'm very grateful. I think of it every day. Is it not possible that there is help if we just invoke it and mass consciousness to defeat evil is so potentially powerful well, at yes, this time? Yeah, that's a very important thing to say. There is help. Uh, it's it's just that, that, you know, it depends what attitude do we take to that help. Do you have to if, know enough if, to ask if, for it? If we, if we relate to them as, let's, let's say, and angelic forces. If we relate to them as magicians, which means I invoke the angels of good and of light in order to do my bidding and destroy evil on earth, then we've taken the first step wrongly. We have to always say, not my will, but thine be done. We have to cycle it through the will of God and then say, you know, and say, God, send your angels if it is your will to save us to help us in this terrible situation. If you do that and you, you, don't, you don't posit yourself as the one who's controlling things, then it, it, it can be very powerful, very powerful. Well, how can asking for help be in control of anything? Because if you have to ask for help, you're not in control. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm just saying it, it can, once you do that, it, it can creep in the direction of magic if you don't watch out. That's a temptation. Robert, other thoughts? Yes, um, with regard to possession, I have experienced both. I have experienced uh, a walk-in that has been very benign, benevolent, angelic, and then there are times when uh, a demon will just walk in and and try to drive me to do uh, bad things, and that's where free will comes in. But the situation in in, uh, Israel and, and Gaza and in the Ukraine, reminds me in the book of Enoch when God uh, directs the angels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Fanuel, to come to earth and bind up the watchers for the sins they've done, to bury them in the Middle East. And then he says to them, lead the children of the watchers into wars with each other so that they will destroy each other, and in so doing, protect the rest of mankind. And it seems to me, as I've said before, 
that somebody is orchestrating these prophecies and trying to make them come true in uh, stage manning global theatrics. But I see this as a fulfillment of that prophecy of drawing the children of the Watchers into wars against each other that they may annihilate each other. What do you think of that? I think well, you're right. I, I, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Charles. Well, there, there definitely could be something to that because, you know, uh, par- partisanship, people in, in, in these times are so partisan. And, and you know, everybody's talking about the polarization of our society and all of this and the polarization that we see in the wars and the polarization, you know, between us and China. And if, if you're drawn in the direction of partisanship where you have to take one of the sides, one of the sides proposed by the world, this is what I say. It's like you, 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 you can't fight on the side of Gog against Magog or Magog against Gog, Gog. Uh, because they're all part of the same of the same darkness. You know, don't don't get involved in worldly partisanship. You need a detachment. And you know, there, there's a hadith uh, in Islam, uh, which which at one point the prophet said something like, um, "The time will come. You know, the time of tribulation will come, which is called fitan." In Arabic, it's the same thing as the Christian tribulation. The time of tribulation will come, where you know there, there, there are troubles, there are conflicts, and anyone who looks at them will be trapped. Their attention will be trapped by them. They'll be fascinated by the conflict, and they will be drawn into it. So the thing is, take your attention off the conflict. And and he says, uh, in those days, someone who walks will be better than the one who runs. Someone who stands will be better than the one who walks, someone who sits will be better than the one who stands, someone who lies down will be better than the one who sits. In other words, keep a low profile, don't let your attention be hijacked by the horrors and the conflict you see around you. You know, and actually the Catholics have a similar legend. This isn't, you know, doctrine, but it is legend. It's, you know, that certain saints believe in this, and I think Padre Pio believed in this. It's the three days of darkness. Now, three days of darkness will come, and all light will be extinguished from from the world. And what you have to do is just stay indoors. Don't look out the window. You know, uh, you know, keep your holy candle burning and just and keep praying. You know, and, and then the darkness will pass. You know, whether that ever actually happens, literally, I, who knows? But it's a similar idea. Don't get involved in it. You know. And because the last time I got involved was with the covenants of the Prophet Muhammad with the Christians of the world. Somehow, as ISIS was, was rising up, with this started for me in 2013, um, I, I, was, I found myself, you know, in meeting and, and working with this, this other Muslim man, Dr. John Andrew Morrow, who is actually a, a part Native American from Quebec, Trans, um, was uh, converted convert to Islam when he was a teenager. And, and he was bringing forth with incredible scholarship the, the treaties that Muhammad made with the Christians of his time. And in those treaties, you know, it, it was said, you know, that anyone who do, did what ISIS was obviously doing there, massacring Christians and Yazidis and even plenty of Muslims, 
you know, anyone who did that would earn the curse of Allah and his prophet and what Muslims were commanded until the end of time to protect Christians and to help them rebuild their churches that they fall into disrepair and all of this. It was amazing provisions in these documents. And Dr. Morrow proved that they really did come from the Prophet Muhammad. And so we were doing this work, bringing this forward and bringing it to the world. And, uh, you know, at the very time when ISIS was, was rising, uh, it was amazing. It was like, you know, they had sort of been forgotten in the Muslim world, you know. Well, did you happen to notice the coincidence of ISIS as fear and terror and ISIS as the sacred goddess of... Well, that's weird. I don't know why that happened. Because you know, it's designed. I... It's part of the program. Well, it could be. Well, you know? if, if... I you... don't know. I, I, I like ISIS number two. She's, Look, she's... how do you keep people in bondage? You make them think they're not in bondage, that they're free. And you make them very fearful of that which could open doorways to their ultimate freedom. How do people become possessed? Robert, you fought it off a couple times. I had an amazing personal experience years ago. I won't go into it tonight, but it was absolutely somebody was trying to capture something of me and tie it up in a, in a bottle and a bow. I know it exists because of that experiential yeah. face-to-face. Yeah, well, we're multidimensional beings ourselves. You know, people. How do we fight it off? How yeah. do all the people that want to be on the side of the good guys, how do they turn their back on the bad? Well, you don't do bad things, and you, you retain your conscience. First of all, is uh, one of the tricks of, <clears throat> I like to say, <clears throat> the first trick of the devil is to make you believe that he doesn't exist. And the yep. second trick of the devil, devil is to make you believe that he is God. And if you can be confused, oh, meaning, you're in trouble. Meaning, but, meaning, meaning all-powerful. Yeah, or that he, he can do magic for you. But I would like to share with you uh, a warning that I got from a, an angelic being who told me 42 years ago that the devil had taken over religions and was going to use religions to destroy mankind, and that is what we're seeing. Yes. And one of you, uh, one of you, I think it was Charles, has said that you see that there is a conscious effort to demolish all the world's religions in order to bring, I, I guess, this one world order, one world government. So yeah. I think it's a really great mistake to fall into that trap. And Americans, Americans are fooled into thinking wars like Ukraine and. Uh, Israel Gaza are like football games of the World Series, you know, and they start waving each of these other flags, and that yeah. is the the divisive element that is trying to dis- destroy the social fabric of America. And I say, don't fall into the trap. Don't take sides. Two right, two wrongs don't make a right. And in this case, they're both wrong. What Israel has done is called overkill, and that and. What well, they've done to Gaza is, 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 is the same is as Hiroshima so without the radiation. It is so yes. much overkill. It's 20,000 civilians. Forget Hamas. Oh, I know. It's even more than that. No. The, the, the numbers are, are greater in terms of civilian deaths since World War II, since our mass, you know, Curtis LeMay bombing of Germany and Italy, and et cetera. So there's got to be a reason at an archetypal level why this is happening now, and I think it's because 
the, the models of physics we're looking at, you open gates between dimensions if you create plasmas. Every yeah. high-powered 2,000-pound bomb is basically a momentary gate for something yes. to come through, something yes. negative, something bad, and there's been more tonnage of weaponry dropped as bombs in this war than in any time since World War II. That has I agree, and we discussed this with the opening of the, uh, the, the gates, the portals yes, by the atom bombs and Oppenheimer Oppenheim, and Einstein. No. Well, I found being aware a, of that. I found, I found a major scientist who was working on this model quietly. Yes. I'm going to invite him to come on the show with his evidence. I'm going to invite you to be part of that show. Charles, I'm going to invite you to be part of the show because I think at this critical time, we are at a war that's not just in 3D. It's a reflection of something going on in oh, yeah, higher definitely. dimensions. I entirely agree with that. You know, And you know, this is why the Foo Fighters, for example, started to appear you know, when, when we were bombing uh, you know, Germany during World War II because you know, a portal had been opened. Yes, open. yes, and I can show the damn evidence. And the mm. Russians have controlled experiments where it's obvious in their data. And when yes. I saw what they're dropping on, on Gaza, I said, look, at they're opening damn portals. And yes. when you have the IDF shoot three of their own guys waving a white flag and bare-chested so they could be seen not to be wired for explosives, those guys were taken over by something we're yes. dealing with a hyper-dimensional catalytic milestone in human history right in front of us. I think what we're talking about is the release of monsters from the id. Remember the term from Forbidden Planet? When the conscience, when the conscience is expunged, monsters from the id can come through. Yes, any- monsters from the id. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Oh, we're all agreeing. That's, that's what Rene Ganon called the infra, infra-psychic forces. Exactly the same thing. So in your book, because we're going to have to come back and have another conversation, give us the chapter headings or the part headings of the rest of okay, the book. Where did I get to here? Um, number two. Only number two. Okay. All uh, right. What's number three? So this mass mind control I'm talking about, I noticed a couple of... Um, mind control techniques, which I called unconscious contradiction and deferred closure. Just before getting on this program, I was listening to a video, which I couldn't finish because it was too late, uh, where Daniel Sheehan was talking. This was, what was it called? And you know Daniel's background. Yeah, he it was very impressive background. We, we, he gave it. So that this is a dangerous wisdom. And he was talking about that same... Um, law that you were talking about had gone through Congress, you know, the NDAA disclosure. But I noticed a couple of strange things. One is, well, the main thing was he kept saying, you know, it has been passed or it's going to be passed. It has been, and he kept well, going it, back. Well, well, half the time he was saying, hang on, what, it, what, what he means is it's been passed by both houses, it has to be signed by the president. That's why it isn't no, technically pa- passed, a law. Yeah, perhaps that's what he meant. But passed, I understand to mean through Congress. Yes, yes, both president. houses have voted on it. 
Yeah, right. right. It's now waiting so to go words, to the president. There, there was an ambiguity. There was an ambiguity there, and also this idea, you know, deferred closure is, you know, the the, the the in other words, final disclosure is is infinite, infinitely delayed until you you are so crazy that that you haven't gotten the, 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 the supposedly the real story yet that when that story finally does appear, you will believe it because you need it so bad. Well. See, we have different takes because I think there is real okay. disclosure and the disclosure will set us free, but only if people have the proper guidebook because you can't okay. throw everybody into hyperdimensional reality without giving them some something to hang on to for how to tell the good guys yeah. from the bad well, guys. But, and, and, I, and, and what I say is, you know, we, we need to have a path beyond hyperdimensional reality. <laughs> okay. You know? Okay, which is which is what religion is supposed to do when it's working, which is not doing very well right now. Okay, so um, let's see. An alien disclosure, the the great game UFO division in response to Michael Sala. We have one uh, one minute. Okay, the next one is reor- reordering primary UFO beliefs. A review of the argument, part five. The Netflix original series, top secret UFO projects declassified. Historical, scientific, documentary, or religious tract, and uh, you know that 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 details you know that details a lot a lot of the implausible and wacko stories that that were told about what was supposed to know, like Colonel Corso, et cetera, et cetera, which just could not be true, uh, and it also shows how much more sophisticated we've gotten in the last last they have gotten in the last two years. Uh, you know, to 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 uh, make us believe their stories, and um, mm, mm, it it co- it covers an awful lot. It covers the metaphysics of it. It covers the paranormal aspect. It covers the psychology. It covers the sociology. It covers the, the social engineering, the mind control aspect. Okay, obviously, and that's what it is. We have to have you back for continuing the conversation. I want to thank my guest tonight, Charles Upton for opening our eyes about other levels of this potential reality. If, in fact, UFOs are real, then everything else must be examined. So tomorrow night, we're switching gears. You're going to have the most amazing pre-Christmas, Christmas Eve you have ever seen or heard. And you're going to find out things about Christmas that you never knew. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Same time tomorrow night. And remember... Third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.